uh, June meeting the Alameda Health System Board of Trustees to order. I'm here. Changing the agenda, we're not going to go into closed session right now. We're going to take public comment. Um, for those that signed up for public comment, I think we have a few friends here. Um, so I'm going to just call off the first batch of people. We're only doing two minutes each, so please, uh, and if you only need one minute, that's fine too, because um, we've got like a lot of folks. Um, so er Ernest Newell is first, and then Obrey Van Buren, and then um, Michael Michael Ford, I believe that's yes. Ford, uh, John Pearson. And Trina Sanders, Let's, we'll start with you. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Ernest Newell. Uh, I've been a I've been an employee with the hospital for 18 years, and in that 18 years, I did my due diligence. But in the last couple of years, it seemed like our bargaining unit has been a little bit under attack. We've been asked to be reconstructed to be more like our newly counterparts, which I feel is like a little bit unfair, uh, being that we've been here for so long. Um, it seems like we're the unwanted heroes. As the hospital grows in size, our staff is slow to grow. Um, the cost of living in the Bay Area is another thing that we got to take into consideration because it's not cheap to stay here. <laughs> our value, as a union is that we have skill set for every trade that needs to keep this hospital running. We sacrifice our wages in order to save money. During our negotiation, we discovered that our effort were not being done by all hospital members. Our effort is to work towards being a solvent, unit, solvent institution. In recent years, our bargaining unit has been under attack, being that the being asked to be reconstructed, being more like our union, our counterparts. Um, I'm kind of nervous. I was called up a little first, kind of unexpected. But what I'm trying to say is that we've been here working hard, nonstop, and when the duty calls, we answer. Yes, right. we, we give you nothing less than what's asked of us. We just only ask to be treated fairly. And, and like I was saying, like the cost of living in the Bay Area, it plays a role in, in what we're asking for. We're only asking for COLA. And to be met, to be met, Stonewall to say, hey, you guys don't deserve anything. You're actually being overpaid. It's kind of like, it's kind of like unreasonable. That's something I really can't understand. And and most of my guys here, they've been here like 15 years plus. And as we walk the, the oldest part of the hospital in the basement, covered with pipes, with asbestos, <laughs> to go to negotiations, to go to the top floor of a high-rise building, to see ocean view front, waterfront views, and also to see the open skyline views, it's hard for me to understand to tell me that as I work in the trenches, 
to keep this place going. We've been here for forever. We, we were the beginning bargaining unit. And to, to hear those things coming from the people that I look up to, look for the decisions to be made for us to keep going as a hospital, it kind of hurts. But it don't compromise my, my willingness to work here. But it's, it's, it's alarming. And it's something that I can't understand for me and my coworkers to work hard and be recognized as employees of the quarter to turn around and say, hey, your work is kind of going in vain. You know, we're going to give you more square footage to take care of. Mr. Moore, thumbs up. You, you've done a great job. You're, you're way over your time. But right. I think you, you I, I gave you more time since you went first and you were nervous. Yeah, but you, did, nervous you, did a, you did a fantastic yeah. job. Right. You did a really good job. Thank you. How are you guys doing today? My name is Michael Ford. I've been a shop steward for six years and I've been working here for 17 and a half years. You know, I'm one of the employees here that can truly say that I love my job. I love working here. And there are many other people who feel the same way. People who feel that this, is, that this is more than just a job. It's a second home, a family of co-workers, and a community. I've been with, uh, we've been with this organization since the beginning. We've had ups and downs and many changes throughout many years, but it always worked out. The hospital has always served the community because of its, uh, because of its totally dedicated, hardworking employees. As of late, there's been a feeling that we don't matter anymore. <clears throat> I too am nervous. <laughs> so, um, I sit with my team in contract negotiations, and we're being told there's nothing for us. There's nothing for the ones who have been serving this hospital for 20 plus years, or the new employees I care. We're only asking for what's fair. We are being told that the valuable skills of some people are not important to maintain the needs of this hospital, but we all know that's not true. We are being told this by people who are here as a stepping stone for themselves. This organization needs its staff members to feel good about their jobs in order for the hospital to maintain the care it's been giving to this community for almost a century. Thank you for letting me speak, Board. My name is Aubrey Van Buren, and I'm not a little nervous. This is not my first time in the rodeo. So I come to you guys, and uh, I have a lot of respect for hospitals. A, a great man told me, he said, it's not what people say. It's what their actions are that show what really how they feel about you. And Wednesday, I walked out of the hospital, and I thought that man was still going to be around, and he's gone now. So I'm mourning him. I'm not... Uh, nervous, I'm upset about what happened to my family. So I come here to talk to you about what's happening with my family here. With my family here, we started requesting negotiations with your team. And when we started after requesting for negotiations, we didn't get them right away. Now I understand why we didn't get them, because uh, there's been a lot of change. So there's been a lot of upheaval within uh, our, our group as far as supervision. 
it's kind of, kind of been like the Wizard of Oz. We don't know what color it is. Because every time we get a new person, they want to change things. So our guys, when we sat in negotiations and we started negotiations with you guys, we were told that we were 64% over budget or what, of what we should cost. While there was another group that was in the same, uh, that does similar work than us, and they were way, well, getting paid well above what we were getting paid. Uh, we were asked if we would take the same amount of money, uh, but we didn't find out until the last minute that that same amount of money would only be for a few of our people, and then some of our other people would get less. And on top of them getting less, another group of our people would be laid off. Our people have been shorthanded for the whole time that I've been representing this group. Um, I haven't come and talked to you guys about it. I tr usually try to work through the, the different people that were your team to, to talk about things. But this is the first time that I've seen something that's truly unfair. Enough so a large group of my people showed up here. A large group, we're a small, small bargaining unit, but a lot of our people showed up here. And we're here to tell you that we think it's unfair. We think that letter, letter reflects what uh, uh, the, the civility that we were, we were receiving. We're not being respected. You know, he's, the, everybody was telling us we're doing a great job, but they put that out. And if you did the math, our top guys, if they were, if you take away 64% of what they're making, they'd be making under $20 an hour. My apprentices, because I was a representative for the building, for not only for the building trades, but for UA Local 342 for a long time. And our apprentices make more than that. So I think that when you look at that, that's a huge amount of disrespect. And I think that needs to be corrected. That's why I'm coming forward to you guys. And we'll keep coming until we get our respect. Thank, Thank you. Hello, my name is Trina Sanders. I have been here 28 years serving Alameda Health Systems. Um, I'm with Patient Business Services. Um, our department is being <laughs> reduced greatly. Um, our department is responsible for bringing in a lot of the revenue here, but we're being reduced. Um, our enrollments are up, which is also bringing in revenue here. I don't understand how you have all of the full-time employees that are being laid off and rehired to SANs. Mm -hmm. That basically shows that you need us. So why would you get rid of people that spent their hard working lives here being faithful to the entity and then you want to get rid of them for lower paying people doing the same thing. Um, the collections that we're bringing in is well over a million dollars and we would like to know what's being done with the money. We're seeing uniforms which is really not for patient care because we're here to serve the patients, the community, and we're just asking to be treated fair um, after working so hard trying to keep the hospital afloat with your revenue process. Um, our management is quite top heavy, but we're the ones on the front line bringing that money in. So we just ask that you kind of reframe the cutbacks because we're highly overstaffed and everyone here needs to stay. We need our job. We would love to help. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, John Pearson, you're next. 
Where'd he go? He's in the back. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good evening, uh, Board of Trustees. Thanks for hearing us tonight. I'm here to talk about some layoffs that are happening right now for SEAU 10 to 1 members. Um, and specifically, I want to talk about two groups, nurses aides, CNAs, and patient access workers, one of whom you just heard from. Um, we're seeing the same pattern that we've seen before, where there are cuts to patient care, where we're already short. And I'll tell you briefly what the situation is with both of these groups of workers. CNAs, the Highland was cited, and I think also John George, for not providing sitters for patients that are a risk to fall out of bed, a risk to uh, elope and are confused, or a risk to themselves, as in suicide risk, or a risk to other people. And uh, what those patients need is someone to sit and watch them that has some clinical skills. That's a sitter, a CNA. So uh, to address the problem, AHS, it looks like, hired some CNAs. Now those CNAs are being laid off. And I can tell you from working in the ER with lots of patients that need sitters, we don't have enough sitters. And actually, we're really heavy on using registry sitters. So daily, when we need a sitter, I'd say probably about three quarters of the time, it's a registry sitter. So that's telling me right, that cuts are happening in a place where you need more care, not less. Right? So what we're seeing is a plan to have less. Patient access workers, like you just heard, are people that bring revenue into the hospital on the front end and also a crucial link in the chain to getting patients out into a safe situation when they're discharged. So they, if they are not able to get to the patients that are being discharged to, to nursing homes or to home care or some other situation and make the right arrangements, those discharges can't happen timely. And we're seeing a crisis, an actual internal disaster, the surge red that we're all familiar with probably in this room, and those folks are a key link in the chain to prevent those surge reds from happening, and we're cutting them. And what we're seeing is those cuts are happening in a particular fashion where people who have benefits and full-time jobs and some job security are being given precarious employment as SANs or being put back out on the market where they have to fend for themselves, they're, or they're losing their benefits and becoming point fours. So we're not understanding what this plan is, right? Cuts are happening to patient care and to things that bring AHS revenue and, that, uh, and in a place where there's already a crisis happening. We don't understand why the plan seems to be to make these things worse. Thank you. Thank you. All right, uh, now I have uh, Shelly, uh, is it Hardy or Handy? Hardy. Hardy. Um, Thomas Murdoch, Monique Young, Karen Rothblatt, and Sarah Krasny. <coughs> And actually then uh, Sahar Sadiqpur, and I think that's it for open session. Hi, my name is Shelly Hardy. I'm a full-time employee here at Highland Hospital as an and eight years in eligibility specialist. I'm a single parent and my son is diagnosed with autism. As a financial counselor in InCare, we are responsible to we are res responsible for providing patients who either don't have insurance, insurance, and patients with insurance authorizations and patients who are coming out to visit from different states and counties um, some type of uh, some type of coverage and as an employee of Alameda um, Health System we uh, provide the complete uh, we our goal is to provide complete patient care and along with that care coverage is needed 
without, um, without financial counselors, who will provide this community with insurance coverage? Where will people go without health care coverage that needs medical attention? And how will Highland be able to afford to provide for the patients? Um, plan to begin EPIC will be a plus, especially when it comes to organizing our patients and uh, our record flow. However, will EPIC provide insurance coverage, personal contact with patients? These are some answers that I would like for you to consider. And also, um, <clears throat> as far as, as, far as uh, doing the insurance, I would like to also point out that I would love to see management come and do the things that we do in getting coverage. Thank you. I'm not Tom. Tom just left. <laughs> okay. So, hi, my name is Monique. I have been employed with Alameda Health Systems for 17 years in patient access department. I'm a single mother as well. Clearly, I am. We are reaching out stating Alameda Health System has a reputation to uphold with values and integrity. As you can see, there's a high demand for fine line readers within the organization to understand and not undermine the process. This action immediately needs to be understood by someone who cares a great deal how the layoffs are causing drastic life changes and will cause a great impact on this organization. We as eligibility specialists are a key piece to this organization. By cutting or reducing hours, you must take into consideration what will happen to our roles as a result of layoffs. You will be faced with high turnovers for the worse, employees' workload increasing, delaying of patient care, patient decreased of education, increased, I'm sorry, um, increased number of unsecured patients, and reduction in POS collections. This will be the result of what could take place. You're cutting from people who do the work. We as employees have been nothing but loyal to this company for many years, loving what we do as employees, but when you see good employees eventually go from a full-time employee to a .4 employee with no benefits, are faced with layoff notices, this presents, this presents to me clearly undermining all the years and time invested. I'm, I am, we are standing in good faith in the presence of trustees that this continuing issue, issue is resolved with the hopes you're not only listening to us, but you're hearing us. Take into consideration employees who care about the quality of their job performance and having to put in a lot of hard, dedicated work this can be hurtful if your reward comes in the form of a layoff notice or becoming a point four. Thank you. Karen? Karen. <laughs> Hi, my name is Karen Rockblatt. I have been an employee of nurse over at Alameda Hospital for 30 years. I want to start by saying I am in solidarity with all of the workers in this room. The nurses are in solidarity with all of you. We are going through very similar issues and in our contract negotiations. But I actually came here today to talk about another issue that is facing our hospital right now. Um, we as nurses, I must say, were shocked and appalled when we learned that Mr. Fonseca told the Alameda City Council just the other day, or I should I guess it was in May, no, 
that he did not believe that a full-service acute care facility was needed in Alameda. Right? So with the surge levels that were just mentioned that happen almost daily at Highland, we believe the system could actually be utilizing Alameda Hospital and probably San Leandro Hospital as well to much greater extent instead of considering limiting access to care to the public. You could be partnering with labor. You could be working with all of us to come up with creative and politically um, powerful solutions to the issues that face our system. Furthermore, it is well known fact that the USGS has predicted an 8.0 or greater earthquake in the next few years. There are 80,000 people that live on the island of Alameda who take the fact that they live on an island that is connected to the mainland by bridges and a tube that could collapse in case of an earthquake or another disaster. They take it very seriously. What part of not completing the seismic retrofit that you promised our community is a manifestation of caring and serving all. And lastly, I want to say that when Mr. Fonseca and Mr. Finley leave AHS and Alameda behind to move along on their career paths, where will they be when the earthquake or other disaster hits and the citizens of Alameda are left without a hospital? Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Sarah Krasny? Also just wanted to echo my solidarity for everyone who's spoken before me. My name is Sarah Krasny, I'm a PGY2 in the Department of Internal Medicine, and I'm here today to speak on behalf of the Committee of Interns and Residents. As you may know, we have been working without a new contract since November 2018, and we have had to endure a hostile bargaining environment that has required us to seek outside support from the Board of Supervisors, <coughs> and local and state representatives, in addition to organizing a 15-minute unity break. The new interns are here and eager to get to work. They have all signed their letters of appointment. They chose to come to Highland based on certain expectations of wages, benefits, professional expenditure, and patient care funds. Our primary goals at this point are to keep the patient care fund, which helps to attract the best and brightest residents to our EM, IM, and OMFS programs, and to ensure that we keep up with the rising cost of living in the Bay Area through increases in our housing stipend and salaries. At our last meeting on May 31st, AHS's Chief Operating Officer gave us a presentation on the budget shortfall of $64.6 million that we face. He recounted a story of AHS as, quote, a private hospital, end quote, trying and struggling to serve as, quote, the county safety net. He suggested that Highland physicians, particularly residents, fail to capture a lot of billable services in their notes and are responsible for many, quote, inappropriate admissions, end quote, that cost the hospital dearly. The vision of Highland as a private hospital runs counter to our understanding of the hospital's mission as an institution that delivers care regardless of social and financial barriers. While we understand that developing financial strategies to confront such an enormous budget deficit is not easy, especially in a safety net hospital, I can assure you that we, and I'm speaking on behalf of all interns and residents, are ready and willing to partner with AHS to identify areas where we can cut out waste 
and improve billing to better capture the costs of the services we are delivering. In a similar vein, we appreciate the op-ed article that Trustee DeVries wrote in the Mercury News, which calls on the county to help work with us in identifying creative ways to address this budget deficit. What we will not stand for, however, is trying to chip away at a small patient care fund that has become the flagship program for our residency, or trying to take away key parts of our contract that we have fought for over the years. That would be regressive. We want to look forward and negotiate from a place of honesty, integrity, and good faith. This is what we expect from the other side of the table as well. At our last meeting on May 31st, we asked for time to reflect on the information presented. We suggested meeting the following week. However, AHS's bargaining team countered with a meeting on July 10th. We are tired, but we are not giving up, and we hope that we do not have to escalate our actions given these stalled negotiations. Thank you for your time. Thank you. I have uh, Andre Spearman, and then if Thomas Murdoch came back, you can still speak, but if he's gone, so be it. Oh, it Mr. Murdoch gone? Okay. Okay. Um, my name is Andre Spearman. I'm with SEIU 10 to 1. Let us imagine for a moment that you are an employee who's a member of SEIU, which means you're probably on the front line of providing quality services. And let us imagine for a second that you believe that the trustees, the CEO, the CFO, and others are dutifully handling the finances and capturing all, all the revenue that's due to the organization. And they have an aggressive program to try to expand the services so they become a place of destination but not a last stop on the train. So you imagine that all that's happening. Most workers are busy trying to provide the service that you say you need. They're the best at what they do because you hire them. They're here. And so I want to say thank you to all the employees that are here who are providing service to those who are home. Here's what I want to say. It is quite shocking to come uh, at this point in the game to see a CEO send a, a communication that says we have $67 million deficit. Meanwhile, we have no communication about well, what can we do as a collective group of folks, utilize the brilliance of the staff here, and try to figure out well, how might we be efficient? Where might we have cost overruns? Where do we have ambulance taking people more than 15 miles and costing you X amount of dollars when you can provide the services from Fairmont to Highland for services that you need. Are there any fraud, waste, and abuse in the system? Is it worth $67 million? I can't say. I'm, I'm starting to absorb your budget. But what I want to say is unhappy workers means low quality service, right? Am I wrong? And so, and so we have to say, well, AHS said they believe in the environment. What, what, what's your, what did they say? An environment of caring and concern. Well, if this is caring and concern, then I, I don't know what hatred and disconcern it look like, right? This is an environment in which you say, we care about the employees and we care about the patients, but yet we wait to the last minute and tell them we have a financial problem. I think bad news is taken when you can engage us on the front end and not wait to the last minute. I know my time is up and I'll submit a letter to follow up with you, but here's what I want to say lastly. Imagine it was you that got the peace slip. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Sturman, any, any relation to Alice Sturman? Any relation to Alice? Well, it's necessary to engage us in the way, yes. Okay, I, was, I, I knew her back in the day, so it's yeah, good to know. Will that help move us in the right direction? Yeah, I don't, I don't, need, to, I don't need to use my imagination okay. to see what you see, because I think we have that. We do have employees excuse me, it's my time now, 
We have employees who are hardworking, high quality, and dedicated. We have a board of trustees, volunteers that are equally dedicated to serving the public good, and we have an administration that's also dedicated. We're not pulling any fast ones here. When we saw the budget problems, we were very transparent and open about it in public, and these are problems that were created in this institution. We live, and this is disgusting, that we live in the wealthiest region of the wealthiest state of the wealthiest country on the planet. And the number of homeless people has gone up 43% in the last two years. And we're absorbing it. We have patients that don't have health insurance. We have people that don't have access to mental health, to substance abuse. In the wealthiest nation on, on earth, we have poor outcomes, uh, far worse than our European neighbors, because our politics doesn't allow us to have a single-payer system that guarantees access to all. It's a human rights tragedy. And we're all on the team trying to trying to address that tragedy. So I thank you for coming today. I appreciate the, the, the comments. I appreciate the pain and the suffering. I have received a pink slip before in my time, so I do know what it's like. And we're working really hard to avoid that. And so thank you very much, all of you, for coming. We're going to move on with our agenda. Well, let me um, say this to you lastly. You, 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 you said what you need to say. And this is this. Uh, it is hard to work together if you're stalled in bargaining, you just get Dr. No on the other side. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I hear you. I hear you. And it's hard to engage in a collaboration when you feel like you're not valued. I hear you. And so we have an opportunity in 2020 yeah. to talk about the, uh, the, the ballot measure that bring in $11 billion. But that requires you to be a little more transparent, a little more aggressive in your communications to the employees. Right. So you can lecture me and tell me all the things that you want to tell I'm me. I'm not lecturing you. I'm not providing the services. The employees okay. are. Th so if thank you. Want to change the outcome, engage them in a way that they feel bad. Thank you. I think we're on for our medical staff reports, right? Alright, Doc, who wants to go first? I would be glad to go first. Presumably you've had the chance to review our report that it was discussed at the QPSC meeting. So. Keep it short if you need to. Okay. Whenever you're ready. <laughs> sure. Credential, credentials and privileges, there were no issues and they were approved. Um, the uh, other issues discussed were um, concerns that the MEC had about uh, appropriate collections and there's a little chart there about the collection ratios which was discussed and is, is ongoing and is still a concern. Um, we also had some discussions about the rehab move, and there are some issues related to the physicians covering the rehab physicians, the rehab patients, as well as the uh, inpatients, and those are being worked out between the two hospitalist groups. Um, the uh, increased boarding times and wait times in the ED are still a uh, continued issue, and there's some staffing issues. 
are still concerning to the ED chief. Um, and there was a presentation by Mr. Fonseca about that, but there are still concerns, uh, even after direct communications from me with the uh, ED director. Um, and the Sapphire uh, training and uh, transition was also discussed. I had a quick question about that. I'm sorry if you guys covered this at QPSC, but do we expect with the opening of the rehab unit, the ability to reopen uh, the floor, and that'll yes. ease the burden there? So come January, we should see real improvements in that flow? Correct. Okay. If it's staff. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. But the beds will be there. So uh, yeah, a 15 more beds on the third floor. Okay. So that's that is the plan, right? Correct. Okay. Cool. And that would conclude my report. Thanks. I assume all the other trustees who were here already asked their questions. Okay. Cool. <laughs> it's all going next. Uh, uh, essentially, uh, presented uh, the. Positions, credentials, and privileges uh, with the uh, ability to have uh, the allied uh, practitioners or advanced practice practitioners, such as nurse practitioners and PAs, to be able to have uh, presence and subsequent uh, placement in our emergency room which will, uh, we've uh, approved the, the process and uh, the privileging for them so to help out in our emergency room at Alameda. Uh, we were uh, told about the, the closure of the primary care clinic uh, because of budget concerns and uh, in Alameda. And uh, however, we were assured that uh, the patients would have access to a primary care when they were discharged from uh, Alameda Hospital. We will be uh, having uh, a new cardiologist uh, joining our staff on July 1st uh, as our old cardiologist uh, has retired. And uh, we worked very closely to align our new policies and procedures uh, with the, the Alameda Health System medical staff for professional conduct and and uh, uh, primarily, uh, which we helped uh, formulate and aligning so that everything could be system-wide uh, in terms of uh, both our policies and uh, procedures uh, in the medical staff. And finally, we were, uh, we're continuing to uh, be educated and go through the training for Sapphire. Contract. Any questions? No. Well, Dr. Marzouk, uh, the the primary care clinic closure wasn't just budget related. I, I just want to make sure. I mean, it was really a performance problem. We, we just weren't seeing the patients there, as, as I understand it. And it's unfortunate because a lot of us really wanted to see that that clinic survive and, and thrive. And um, well, as I understand it, it just it just didn't get off the ground. Uh, and I'll ask staff to corroborate that. Was it? We it, spoke about it in QBS. You did, okay. Yeah. I mean, we did uh, talk about it. I mean, you can't say it's performance related because it obviously impacts uh, it's, if it's budgeted. And unfortunately, primary care clinics have to grow. They don't grow overnight. Right. And, uh, and so. Right. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Yes. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Dr. Bard. Thank you. 
So I'm going to zoom through mine because I want to give Dr. Smith a few seconds of my time. Um, we did the uh, approved our credentials and privileges through MEC. We also added privileges for transesophageal echocardiogram to be performed now in the emergency department by ED staff um, who are appropriately proctored. Uh, we approved the non-physician contracts report and um, I think uh, Ms. Lyswa very nicely showed some of the advancements we're making in the search and um, utilization review realm when she gave her talk earlier. And um, the three of the, of the esteemed departments in our uh, facility gave their departmental reports. Dr. Smith was one of them, and I think his slide deck is in your packet, and I would like to um, donate any time I have left to him so that he can answer questions or, or make a few comments around the state of his department in his third month here, I think. <laughs> thank you. All right, thank uh, you. I am Kevin Smith. I am the new chairman of the OBGYN department here, um, and it's five months. Um, <laughs> I'm wise. No problem. Uh, I'll try to be brief. I will say that in the five months that I've been here uh, across the nation, about 10 states have done a pretty good job of uh, at least be at least um, attempting to revoke women's rights, um, no matter where you stand on the abortion uh, platform. There's been a clear message by at least 10 states that women's rights can be um, minimized, removed. Um, and in a, a few more states, attempts made and, and failed. Locally, uh, what we've done in the past five years, five, five months, which is I'm happy to brag about, our midwife uh, team has been honored by the Alameda Health System Foundation for their centering model of pregnancy, uh, which we know decreases uh, preterm birth rates and low birth weights. And actually, our, our local data suggests that it eliminates the disparities between uh, women, of, of black women and other women in these parameters. We've had a quality uh, evaluation by our beta health group insurance program where we met such measures, measured at such high levels that uh, we were actually, the, the organization was afforded a 6% uh, rate in their premium, in our premium, which was about 170,000 across the enterprise. Um, we're caring, healing, teaching, and serving all. We, we have had five faculty honored by our UCSF medical students who rotate here today was the orientation for our brand new um, residency program. Uh, we have our six residents that have started today. Um, and I, I get that the everyone in this room knows the health disparities that women, black women, are three or four times more likely to die in birth than others, that there's about a 41% higher chance of death for black women, for breast cancer than other women, that black women historically um, have been overlooked for a diagnosis of endometriosis in lieu of pelvic inflammatory disease. Um, I know you know, and I know you've helped with a lot of the parameters that I just described for you and the victories that we've had. Um, but the concept that we were even on a budget item line as a service cut 
um, with all due respect in the room, is somewhat um, unconscionable to us, um, possibly irresponsible, possibly immoral. Um, we have taken the charge that we have the onus and the opportunity to support our efforts to this community uh, with some fiscal responsibility. There's lots of ways we can look at revenue capture. We're happy to be in the conversation. Um, there's ways we can streamline services. There's way we, ways we can consolidate services. Um, I do think if there's some modeling out, it's important to note that uh, without women's services, uh, we cannot have a level one or level two trauma status. That there are millions of dollars associated uh, with recouping uh, at a level one rate for trauma. Our top 10 rated uh, emergency room, emergency medicine residency program uh, doesn't exist, isn't accredited without OBGYN services. Our FQHC uh, scale is changed without OBGYN services. There are about nine prime metrics and two quip metrics associated with maternal child health that recoup about nine, eight to nine million dollars for this group. So it isn't really a one-off. Um, what I do want to leave with is that we don't move in the direction of the other 10 states that I mentioned where we really disregard women's health care. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Before you walk away from the podium, uh, did some trustees have questions? Yeah. Back to the mic, Kim. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, Doc. <laughs> Trustee Shikori? Yeah, I, first I want to wholeheartedly agree with uh, your statement. Your, pick, stop pick up your mic. The middle, you know, yeah. about, so Just pick it up. Just pick it up. Yeah. It'll keep you from talking too long. Oh. Here, take this. Can you hear me now? Yeah. yeah. Just wanted to agree with your uh, statement about the morality of these choices. And uh, we're going to be talking later about our plan to move forward uh, with our budget. So uh, thank you for that context. I wanted to ask you a specific question, though, about uh, what you're seeing with it. You know, across the system, we're seeing greater acuity um, in, in patients. And I, I'm wondering what you're seeing with uh, the women uh, in your department, uh, just generally around acuity. Where they, what status are you seeing in their lives before they get to you and so forth? Can you give us a little context then. I can definitely give you some context. It's an, it's a Fun question to answer because our acuity, consistent with the, the, the system that you're describing, is very high. Um, not just health status, but social economic status, um, physical trauma status, emotional trauma status, um, just as high as it can get is our acuity. But what's really fantastic about the group that I represent is in that setting, with the site visit from our insurance providers, we were rated so highly that we saved the organization money. So we're meeting the challenge. We've got some really stellar talent in the department and very committed folks. I, I, I had to send them out an email last week to say, I get that this is scary. I understand why you're stressed, but I'm so impressed that the response has been, how do we, cons how do we rally around this? The acuity's high. Where is it going to go? 
we're happy to treat and do our best, and we're, we're being rewarded for it. Thank you for your work, your leadership in particular. Other trustees, any questions? Um, no, I don't have any questions. I want to thank you as well and just point out my, that um, that's great information to have that about the, um, the, the level one trauma and, and that that would be that having the, the women's services is a part of that. And, and I, I wasn't aware of that So um, when these cuts were being discussed before. So thank you for sharing that. I think um, at the finance committee meeting, there were questions about modeling out. And uh, there's a lot of questions about what these dominoes are that lay with these decisions. So I gave you a few. I'm sure there are many more. I, I wanted to thank um, you and your uh, team to have had the opportunity to talk about exactly that part of uh, the AHS business uh, at different places nationally. So thank you for what you do. I'm very proud of the work we do. I appreciate your work with lactation as well. Thank you. I think, um, yeah, I also think the work is great. Um, none of the cuts that were Pre presented to us are acceptable, um, and I think that we're in a we're in a unique situation as we'll talk about later to really figure out how to move forward. Um, but I really want to take you up on your offer to engage with with your staff and and with the administration to figure out how we, we can all partner because I'm I'm sure there are opportunities, uh, you know, for revenue improvement that are going to come from your expertise from what you're seeing in your department and and so. Um, we're open to every idea that's out there right now, everything. So um, it, it's certainly our budget situation has gotten everyone's attention, um, and it needs everyone's attention to get us out of it. Um, from our partners at the county uh, to our to all of our staff in, in every department. So we I, we welcome your ideas and and hope that you're partnering closely with the administration to implement them. 100 percent. We've had many 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 meetings about. The awesome. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Sorry, I'll, with your permission, I'll be sure. brief. Um, um, I think all the accolades for Dr. Smith are very well uh, um, deserved, and I want to thank him, too. He's been a great uh, partner, and uh, he has referenced uh, um, some of the work that uh, we've been doing that was actually precursor to even the, the draft budget, you'll recall, and, and, and I know we're going to talk about this later, and I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with the uh, direction that we are that you are taking on this uh, but uh, as was sort of alluded to um, uh, Dr. Smith and his team uh, have been very instrumental in some previous discussions we've had around um, partnering with children's uh, to uh, underscore the importance of the OB services and the value that we have here and uh, the opportunity to collaborate more with them in, in, in a successful way. Uh, we had a great collaborative discussion with those leaders as well as leaders at UCSF around uh, looking at even additional ways to partner to uh, bring uh, uh, greater or more uh, accessible high-risk OB services here as well as uh, increasing the amount of deliveries that we may be able to do under a uh, reinformed uh, or a uh, reimagined uh, collaborative. That step was already uh, um, underway. Um, that was not, and that was all, some of that was driven by some of the prior analysis around what opportunities we have and that work to, to close those. So this was a sort of a hard left turn uh, uh, for everybody involved uh, that we 
uh, as you know, tried to avoid, uh, but ended up in this um, situation. So we are trying to get out of it. And while we are working through this, as you'll talk about later, uh, our discussions have been we're pushing forward with all the work that we are uh, that we have been planning and have been planning, and we want to continue to to do. Uh, we are mindful of that, and I'd be remiss if I didn't share that he shared with me that even the the public discussion around this potentiality, which came as a result of other uh, um, um, sort of realities has resulted in at least one uh, um, a highly valuable uh, ultrasound tech leaving the organization uh, because of the job market, uh, that they're in high demand and can get new opportunities. So that uncertainty and having discussions about that in such a public uh, uh, way uh, um, led to or contributed to uh, uh, some, some undesirable uh, activity within the organization. So I want to thank him, and I also want to thank you all, and I want to reassure you that um, this conversation preceded this and will continue in the face of this because we do believe, as he has uh, astutely pointed out, that we provide a wonderful service to the community and that we want to retain that service. And nice. Yeah, just really briefly, you know, I want to say generally there aren't many programs that you could say eliminate racial disparities and yeah. considering some of the disparities that we face in this county, that's actually huge. So it just really strikes me that we're truly leaders in this area and it's something we need more of, not less. Thank you. Thank you. All right, uh, so I guess that gets to my report. A <clears throat> um, couple of items I want to talk about, just want to remind myself. Um, uh, so it's been a challenging month to be president of this board. Um, yeah. <laughs> A glutton for punishment. Um, you know, I just want to say that this has been a really fast-moving process with this this budget. Um, you know, we saw this we saw this um, crisis coming. We we've talked about it. Obviously, we're going to talk about it more under the budget item. Um, we've had some you know really great dialogue with the county, um, with with you know with some great dialogue internally. Um, I really just want to, you know, honor all of the hard work of, of all of the staff. I mean, really, in every department, um, this has not been easy, um, and uh, it's not going to be easy. You know, we're not anywhere, you know, we're not out of the woods by any stretch of any imagination. We're in the middle of a crisis, and so um, I just want to remind everybody here, um, and I wish that the crowd that was here earlier hadn't left, um, is that everyone's intentions here are good. Everyone is here because they're dedicated to serving the public. Um, there are no bad guys or good guys. There's just people trying to... Um, they're all good guys. Uh, sorry, they're all good guys, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just... It's just <laughs> I just want They're to, not all guys. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> right. There's just people. Like I said, we're just people trying to trying to serve the public with, without enough resources. Um, and and so whether it's a, a top administrator or a frontline staff uh, or a volunteer trustee, um, we all are here with the, with that mission in mind. And so just as we get upset and we get frustrated. And we want to scream and shout. That's a totally normal thing. Um, but if we could scream and shout at the problem and not blame the people working to fix it, I think that's going to be really important that we do that over the next few months. Um, so that's that's one thing I just wanted to say. Um, I think that being as transparent as we can with our staff and with the public is important. Um, I did uh, publish an op-ed and I know that our CEO sent out 
uh, a couple of communications to the staff. Um, I support that. I think it's important that we really be honest with people, um, especially when it's bad news, um, so that people are aware of where we sit and where they stand. And um, it's, um, yeah, so I just want to say that, and I think that's, that, that was the intent um, of, of those communications. Um, and that's what I have to say about that. Now, on a lighter note, um, while we've been dealing with this budget crisis, mm -hmm. uh, some of us have also been working really hard on a unified um, provider group. And I think later in the budget, we're going to see the fruit of that labor over the past few months. And I'm excited that we've brought the doctors and the administration and the trustees closer together through that process. And it's been, um, um, it's been challenging and, and not all easy, but I think we've come to an end product that is fantastic. And um, that's another part of my little president's report. And then the last thing is I want to have a, a quick conversation. I want to take some input from my colleagues about our July retreat. Um, we actually are scheduled to have, yes, another day long retreat on February 26th. And um, I think Trustee Hernandez had, pardon me? July 20th. July 20th. Did I say February? Yeah. It's been a long day. Uh, we'll probably have one on February 26th also. But um, So uh, I think Trustee Hernandez had some thoughts on what we could discuss. But I really wanted to get input from all of you about you know, pressing topics or interesting topics you think would make sense to do a deep dive on that day, um, and then we'll, we'll we'll make a decision before, as we get closer. So I'll open it up. Did you want to start I, or my, not? My comment to uh, this issue is that I think we should have the meeting dedicated to the budget again. However, um, I am ever hopeful that we are going to find some solutions. I'm concerned that we always need to plan B have a plan B. So what is the communication about any closure? What is the decision about how we partner with other entities to serve those families, those patients that are going to be seeking care from other entities, whether it's a, a, a clinic, a faith-based organization, and so on. And I don't think that waiting uh, until we know what the outcome is, is is enough. I think we should actually use that time to plan ahead and think very, very carefully who do we turn to in our community to talk about those uh, changes that may come up. So. All right, absolutely, I agree with that. And um, I think it should completely be devoted to the budget as well. And what I'd like to hear more about is um, as we heard in public comment, there's been layoffs already related to the budget, and um, I think the board, uh, at least myself, maybe my other board colleagues aren't as interested in that, but I think that's something that I would like to hear about, which or which of the um, organizing groups, organizations have been laid off, have received notices, how many have been sent out, uh, who's been, which departments or divisions have been targeted for layoffs or reductions, I think that would be helpful, because that's... I don't know if it's part of the budget since it's already happened, but it sounds like it's part of the cost reductions that are ongoing. Okay. I'd like to talk about the interface between quality and finance and how we mechanize this and make it standard work and um, don't get caught with our pants down when we're making financial decisions so we haven't scoped out the impact on quality. And we can make that operational. Uh, 
those will have to be discussions about how we embed those questions, but I think that would be an important, very critical discussion to who we are and what we do. And I'd like to know um, the same thing, the, uh, you know, operational plans that we have in, if in, in the face of the budget cuts and also how intentionally we are building some trust and communications with, uh, with all of our stakeholders internally and externally during this process. Cass, want to weigh in? No? Yeah, I, um, I want to echo uh, Dr. Burkett's um, suggestion. I do think it is a, a, a challenge to get there. Um, one of the things I've noticed uh, in this uh, point, I would, I would want us to talk about at the retreat, but I'll say something right now about this communication issue. It is very hard to uh, communicate bad news to people uh, in a fluid uh, situation. And I would note as the chair of the Finance Committee, the last uh, four or five months have been very, very fluid. And so uh, to run out and tell people, um, share information before you have all your uh, facts, uh, before you have your analysis about where you would uh, have your best opportunities to uh, realize savings if you need that, uh, would be unwise. Um, so I would just say that publicly. Um, uh, it, and I understand that it doesn't feel that way to people. It feels as if uh, there's been exclusion um, so when we talk about communication, I think um, I, I would want us to really be intentional about how we do that in the, in the challenging environment we're in. So uh, kudos, uh, absolutely want to do that, but want to do it in the, in the context that we're in. And, and uh, again, I, I, just to echo uh, Dr. Kett's point about the interface quality and finance, uh, QPC had a great uh, report many great reports today, but one particular one that was, I think, a, um, a roadmap to where we might go around uh, the cost of uh, uh, throughput issues. And, uh, and staff reported, actually, it was fascinating to hear that uh, it's almost in, uh, in real-time reporting that they're able to do on that, mm. which is the sort of thing you need to get at um, how you're doing towards a, a quality measure. Um, I, I think uh, our offsite should definitely be about the budget, and I'm, I'm kind of uh, want to make sure that we not just look at this year, but we look at kind of a structural deficit mm -hmm. and what what services we need in the future, and then also look at some of the indicators we have of things that certainly look like they're going awry. I was <coughs> mentioned to a couple of board members that I saw that our emergency that time from if I read it right. The time from a determination in the emergency room that somebody needs to be admitted to inpatient care until they're admitted to inpatient care is 14 hours. And I just, uh, you know, I'm not an expert on this, but it just, it doesn't sound right to me. And I think as we look at these things, we've got we've to look at ways to structurally fix it. And I, I think uh, uh, because we are kind of in an unusual place in terms of the structure of the hospital, uh, we seem like we, we're really impacted by the social determinants. Okay, so this homelessness you were talking about and the cuts at the federal level and the cuts at the state level are, are impacting us probably more significantly than others. And I think that 
we need a we need a partner. You know, we uh, part of this discussion needs to be a partnership, and I think we need to partner and bring some of the folks in from from behavioral health on the behavioral health side, from uh, maybe from the state, you know, from the organization you belong to, and find out what other people are doing, and and uh, just uh, and the healthcare services agency and the board and others, so that we can kind of work this together, and that we we do it in a way that we. Uh, have labor feel like we're working with them rather than against them, and um, and part of it is emotional, right? It's very emotional. I mean, I, when I was here at the uh, last meeting, the finance meeting, and I saw some people crying because they were losing their jobs. I mean, it was it just struck me as you know just very unfair. On the other hand, we've got this huge deficit, and we've got to look at it both for this year and structurally because we don't want to come back again next year and go through this again and again and again. Anyway. Can I add something? I, I want to add something. Sure. If, um, to that point, with regard to the layoff, and um, I just wanted to say, I, I'm the only person on this board that's actually elected, and so it may be that um, non-elected boards don't do this. I've been elected, elected. To, um, <laughs> to the school board, and I was elected by Alan Meadens to the school board and to the hospital board. And um, so my point is that as a member of the school board and of the hospital board when we had control of Alameda Hospital, the hospital board and the school board both heard similar um, information as this board heard last month regarding the resolution and direction to, um, to staff. And often that was in closed session and it was a direction regarding layoffs, regarding contracts, and regarding how much, what is the limit and what might be this contract or that contract. And I, I'll just note that this board never hears that and has never desired to hear it, but I think it's important and I think that uh, the people of this organization, that's what they care about and that makes our staff, the staff of the organization have these issues and concerns and we hear about it when we have our open sessions and we hear about it those of us who meet with um, members of the staff of the hospital or bargaining units or whoever and I'm just requesting or suggesting I guess I won't request it because it's up to the entire board but there's really as far as I know unless there's a legal prohibition I would like to see the board get more information about bargaining and about and provide more input about regarding the bargaining. Okay. Um, we we I, I support that and the the old makeup of the HR committee did when you and I first got on this board, we did talk in more much more detail about that in closed session though. I mean I wanna it is uh, yeah in bargaining is, is done in closed session, not in public session. And so um, yeah, I think that's something we can explore more in, in closed session. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm definitely in support of the deeper dive, and I would add to that, um, you know, anything that we're seriously considering cutting uh, or removing, that we do a deeper dive on those ripple effects. I think Dr. Smith mentioned an important one, um, you know, on what are secondary, tertiary sort of impacts of, of cutting something. And so I think um, that will be important. I think also probably related to Dr. Wuket's, um uh, point about the interface between uh, quality and finance. Um, I would uh, want to highlight access as one, mm -hmm. I, it is a quality indicator, but it's sort of 
access not only within our system, so wait times and things like that, but I think um, looking sort of at the entire county. And so, so I appreciated when staff uh, brought back the report about the things with the with the highest sort of um, you know losses, but um, you know that they pointed out who are the other providers who provide these services within the county and where else could people access these? Because I think that has to be a consideration of this board, and so um, so I would just say access is one of those um, one of those key indicators that we want to look at as well, and the impacts of whatever decisions that we make on access. Okay. So having heard from everyone, I think we've got at least a day worth of an agenda for our retreat. Just uh, a little. <laughs> just a little. And I just want to echo, um, I, I think, what everybody said we should cover. Um, I do want to make sure, uh, to Trustee Peterson's point, that we're looking at these opportunities for, uh, for revenue. Um, that it, it's not all bad. It's like, where are we, where are we getting back you know, only 50 cents on the dollar, and how can we get that to 70 cents? You know, where, where, where are those structural? Because that's the part I think that's so um, important that we, we focus on. Uh, it, it's not the supplemental cliff we're about to fall off that probably some of it we're going to get back depending on what the state and the feds eventually do, you know, but we just don't know. But it's that structural ongoing loss or, or lack of revenue capture that I really want to make sure that we, we pay special attention to, at least for part of the retreat. I'd also like to ask that we pay attention to the frontline employees who often are the ones to see where we're the most inefficient. Um, having done a lot of work uh, around that for different corporations, I can tell you that sometimes the most simplest observation why are the lights not automatically turned off? Why do we order this kind of stuff when we know we can get it cheaper somewhere else? I mean, the list is endless, and if we're asking our frontline employees to partner with us about saving money, reducing inefficiencies, I think there's a real potential there, and I think that will build more trust as we go through this really difficult time. That takes a mammoth amount of effort, but I think we should hear at the retreat how we're doing it. I'm sure we're asking. We may not be asking consistently, and maybe we need to, but we've heard tonight a willingness or an interest in being part of the solution, and I don't want us to ignore that, especially when I do feel the frontline employee often sees things that no one else sees. So we need to recognize that as part of an opportunity. All right. So, um, Ron, did you get all that? Yeah. All right, great. So, uh, <laughs> yes. So, thank you. Um, I just want to level set a little bit. That is quite a lot. Um, so, I'm, I, I, we're going to need some help. Sure. You, you have effectively, we have effectively three weeks because of posting. I'll do this. Uh, the team has effectively three weeks because of posting to prepare a retreat agenda for you based off of your feedback, which that is our role, we're happy to do. Uh, Mind you, those three weeks we have committee meetings, we have a full board meeting that precedes the retreat itself, all of which also requires posting and preparation. Um, we need some help in understanding from you of all these things, some of which require just a little bit of work, some of which require a lot of work, 
uh, on top of the work that we are doing based off of the direction that we have heard that we think you're going to discuss tonight, which is we're trying to advance a direction that reduces or avoids a lot of the things that were in the draft budget. That's where our focus is right now. If we turn our attention to preparing an agenda to talk about those things, or plan B, plan A, perspective otherwise, that's going to then cut into, because it's the same people who are doing the work, the effort to actually produce the reality that I think we want the most more of. So, so let's look at the retreat. Help. Let's look at the retreat <clears throat> as a milestone check-in on our path to finding a better budget. Let's look at the preparation work that you're going to do leading up to our July meeting and in our conversations with the county. Let's look at the retreat as a as a stop on that journey, where we can give you input on an all-day retreat, and we can hear from some of the frontline staff, you know, and, and capture, I mean, so every, every, every trustee here has basically said, it's about the budget, right? And so let's make the retreat that, that check-in. I, I, I just want to be, I'm, I'm yeah. totally okay with that. Again, so, so, retreat, so, so, it's just figuring out all these elements don't necessarily contribute to just what you just described. Some of them are a departure from that, so and some of them are things that have nothing to do with that. So, so I just said we need some help in producing the retreat that you want to have. We'll, we'll help you whittle it down. Yeah. Okay. yeah, we'll help you whittle it down. Who's going to help me do it? The usual suspects. And then, <laughs> and then we need some time to do that yeah. because, again, if we don't meet for a week, now we're down right. to two weeks to prepare. Uh, for so time. I think Trustee Hernandez is volunteering to help with that. Yeah. I, I got my two trustee. Back. I think Trustee Energy is also volunteering. Yeah, so um, I think the two of them will help you whittle it down in the next few days. Yeah, and again, look at it as a, a stopover on our way to, to as, on, on our on our budget journey because it's going to be a busy few months. So I appreciate that. My, what I hear you saying is a, a midpoint check that is balanced by the notion of understanding that because of that, the principal focus for us is pushing forward an effort that tries to eliminate these, these um, as many of these draconian things that we're looking at now, which doesn't allow for a lot of preparation and discussion for how to make those things happen and what that looks like, and community discussions with other people who are making those things happen. That's a complete separate scope of work that we won't be able to prepare you to have a discussion for if we're doing this other part. That's what I, I just want to be entirely just, just to practical assure you, about that. It, it might not be that we have a, a finished plan or anything. It's a discussion of what does that plan look like? What, what would we do? That's I understand. I'm saying to yeah. facilitate that discussion, though, there's a lot of work that goes behind that. If you if you just want to have it as a open-ended discussion yeah. that you all have, yeah. then, it's open then that's open you. Yeah. So yeah. I want to be clear. That means there's no work on our part to yeah. facilitate that discussion. Is that is that fair? Uh, I mean, I was thinking that we've over time we've had you know your market analysis of let's see you know. What, what services are being sought outside? Where are we sending people outside our network? What's happening? Where, where are the gaps and things? So it's in, or none of this, we think, is ancillary to the work that you're doing to make a budget. So No, it um, kind of is. With all respect, what I'm saying is, if you have to think of a plan B, 
uh, in August, and we have to come and um, approve a budget in September, and we, we we hear that, oh, now this is not going to happen, A, so that's going to happen, or this is not the path, that is, I feel you must be having those generative discussions among you all, right? Like, if, if while we're focusing there, we won't, we won't do, you know, we will have the scenario of holding as much of our services and all of that intact. I'm sure there are conversations. I have a proposal, so, and it's to try to get that, uh, I think what our board president was trying to get at, and hear you. So I, I think we need to really respect the fact staff has a heavy lift here on the budget. So we're gonna want you to come back to us alliteratively to the where you are in the process around the budget. Sure. Okay, I'm seeing Ted's not. And we've added some other pieces that we would like to discuss. Sure. Those pieces, communication, quality, interface with finance, I think those are the two big ones I heard. There were other pieces. But those could be led by the trustees. Great. And their discussions. They're not... Yeah. And we're not going to go back to you and say, can you do an encyclopedia with a context for us? We're going to lead that discussion and get, engage with it. Perfect. Is that? Yeah. Exactly. It's like yeah. a, okay. I, I, it's open-ended generator. Okay. So I, I, I think I need to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's, not, it's not that we don't want to do it. I just feel like in order, I, I think these are important topics you're bringing up, and I think all of them. In a facility, it probably be a half-day discussion if we're really giving it uh, the, the, the uh, attention it warrants. I just want to be clear that even now, you know, as we presented the stuff we have before you, what we said to you in finance committee with those was there's a lot of work that we have to continue to do, and we're not. And and, and just as of this recent, we we have pretty much made that a secondary consideration. So yes, it's true that we're having this coming, but not in a substantial way because we have focused almost all of our attention on trying to avoid these things. Right. And that really is a lot of work. So I'm, I'm just appealing to you to appreciate that that is, um, it will be yeah. tough for us. We want to manage your expectations of us and where we're focused so that we don't disappoint you in wasting a day or feeling like you set aside a day clear for what you wanted to talk about and that we didn't prepare you to have a fully informed session. If that's only well, if it's partly for us, then, then so be it. Just to be clear, uh, my request is for to get information about budget-related cuts that are happening, as we heard in public session tonight. And I want to be, I, sh I can respond to you now. Those cuts are, or, or any cuts that were uh, discussed, both here or weren't discussed, are a continuation of work that we've always continued to do as an organization around productivity standards and making sure that the organization is aligning the volume of work with, or the capacity of the work with the demand of the work and making sure that we're continuing to address those things in a proactive way. That may be contemporaneously viewed as a part of a budget because we're working on a budget now, but nothing, we, we haven't implemented a budget. You haven't approved a budget. Right. What we're doing is continuing to execute on the budget that's already in place and now we just happen to be in the context of a budget that is now being prepared. Well, let me rephrase then. As I, as I brought up at the la at our last board meeting, the um, and I asked and it was answered affirmatively when I asked the question whether the negotiations that were ongoing at that time were reflecting the budget situation and whether it was whether you and your staff during negotiations would be restraining p 
potential expenditures because of the budget? And you answered yes, that you would be. So I think that at least that information would be valuable for the board to know. Sure. I th if, I, if I hear you correctly, and thank you for your, your clarifications, now we're not talking about ongoing activities, but, uh, but uh, as it relates to operations, now we're talking about negotiations. If I hear you correctly, what I believe you're saying is, to what extent are negotiations being influenced by the the forecast of uh, fiscal realities that we have? The information that we're sharing in those contexts that are then informing the, the, the negotiations is the same information we're sharing with you publicly. Uh, and as you know, when we get to points in negotiations where it's time to ask for any authority for what we might negotiate, and we've done that with some of the contracts that are still under negotiations, we're operating with that context, your approved context in mind, and we will continue to provide you with that, that information that is informing and guiding the directions or the discussions we're having with our labor partners. Can I jump in on a nuance that I think Trustee Jensen was getting at that we might not have quite captured? Sure. Out, be outside of negotiations, I think you're also wanting some information just on layoffs, on any reductions that are happening, whether it's as part of this budget process or just as part right. of efficiency. Right. And that's something that can be discussed in, I think, an open session. Am I well, as Delvecchio just said, that there aren't any layoffs that are related to the budget right now. So the, the people that have come in and what we've heard, um, and, and what I've heard um, not in public, but um, in private communications, those are all related to um, efficiencies or, or reductions that were planned, long planned, mm -hmm. including the um, the eligibility access workers and things like that and the CNAs, et cetera. So point of clarification, not long plan necessarily. They are ones where we continue to every month when we look at what our volume is or what the trends are and then look at what our utility or our uh, staffing is to support those operations. We have uh, adjustments that we make relative to those things. So so it may not necessarily be, I, 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 I don't want to mince words, but long plan might not be the, the um, the right characterization for things that are happening. Uh, so. Right. But so uh, my 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 request for information is really just more about how this is work, how this is happening sure. at the table, and how the, it, I guess maybe in open session, yeah. since you were given this authority by the board to do this at the last board meeting when most my all of my colleagues voted to support this guidance in the in the resolution number five for you. So how is that being implemented with all of the bargaining that's going on with with our nursing units and our um, evac unit, our, our engineers, and all of the other open contracts right now? That guidance was specifically related to the budget preparation. and uh, That was my question. I'm saying, uh, so, so to, to the point, uh, the implementation of it is actually what becomes manifest in the budget itself. And that, as well, you'll talk about later where we are on that. Do, don't we have a, an HR committee uh, coming up? Mm -hmm. Do we have one in July? Because I'm just looking yeah. at my calendar. I'm not yeah. finding it. It's on the 9th. Oh. It can't be the 9th. Seems like that's where you It's on the, the, uh, the 12th. No, the 10th? 10th, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's it just, it might be helpful to have that 
deeper. Sure, you can we, yeah, we'll have to follow up with you and we'll get clarity on what We'd have to get the agenda out by, by it's not, Monday. We've, the staff have already prepared the work from our discussion and the agenda that we've oh, got. Okay, sorry. So, Obviously, That's if you want to talk about something else, we can do that, and then we're going to have to prep that work. So they developed the slides, they got them today, I'll be getting the rest of them on Tuesday to be posted on Friday. So if we're going to change it, I need to get an understanding of exactly what it is you want to talk about specifically, and to know whether or not it, it is actually a public session, oh, it can be closed. or a closed session. Um, yeah. Yeah. To, to know whether it is a public or a closed session common. If it's a matter of labor strategy, it's a closed session discussion. Uh, if it's a matter of layoffs that have neither been approved, you know, or gone through the process, that may be a closed session discussion because they may not have come to fruition. Mm -hmm. One of the points we talked about earlier is, um, I think, trustee Chico, you don't want to communicate things to staff that are actually not baked because we're worried right. about... I don't want you to talk about anything in open session so, that, okay. that belongs in closed session. Right. Yeah, so I understand I, that. So my question will be um, to Trustee Jensen, what specifically do you want to talk about? Uh, in pretty precisely so we understand that the staff can go prepare the work for it because they've already prepared the slides for what we had planned. I think we're, we're, we're sorry, we're happy to provide you with whatever detail you want, yeah. obviously with the appropriate consideration, but uh, let's just maybe if we could just take this offline and get some real clarity or specificity right. on exactly what you want to see. Right, we'll do our best and I, I wanted to see it in the retreat because it is related to the budget. I and I, if I haven't been clear, I'm happy to look at it in there. That's fine. We can keep clear that right. Maria know. And yeah. so, so I, I just have a clarification question here. Sure. So the folks that have come forward in the last couple of sessions, you know, talking about cuts and so forth, sounds like some of them are part of the budget process. You know what we're looking at in terms of cuts, and some of them are cuts that are productivity. That's correct. Some some of them are more prospective in nature, and uh, we're talking about things that uh, uh, were in the draft budget that uh, that uh, pretend for potential action subject to a budget approval. Some of them are things that are happening in real time, and because you haven't approved a budget or have happened, I should say, uh, uh, but because you haven't approved a budget, they're not connected to next year's budget. So, I, so I, th I think it might be helpful to us, even if they're done in summary form, just to understand which are which, you know, you know, you know what I mean? Or well, some, uh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we'll have to go back and kind of figure out what, what people brought forward yeah, to be yeah, able to provide that yeah, for you, but we can, yeah. we can try to do that. Yeah, so like, you know, the people that are doing their presentations, are they talking about something that could happen as part of whatever the approved budget is? Or sure. are they things that are, you know, they're part of I wouldn't say normal business, but they're part they of were going to happen anyway. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. We can, we can try to do that. Yeah. Trustee Jensen, you're okay. That, that that that's exactly what I, yeah. you know. I, I I didn't really mean for this to take up so much time, but it, it occurred to me as I heard public presentations earlier from um, our staff that as we cut eligibility specialists, this is interesting that that they're being cut as we are um, as we heard earlier in the QPSC meeting that. Basically, we have a, um, a very, uh, we have um, 666 avoidable patient days. And so I was thinking about this in terms of quality as well. We have avoidable patient days, and part of that avoidant, part of the reason that we were told that these patient days, that these patients are not able to be moved out of the hospital is because of eligibility, because of insurance denials or insurance eligibility. That was on the chart. And so it just occurred to me, and maybe I'm wrong, that perhaps if there was more information to um, Trustee Peterson's point 
about how these layoffs or whatever, the reductions of force or moving people to sand or however you want to call it, how they relate to the things that we're discussing as part of the budget and how they relate to ongoing operations. Sure. Thank you. Okay. I think we can move on. Yes. Yeah? All right. So it sounds like, yeah. I won't summarize. I'll yeah, just. No, I'll just <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Oh, it's you. It's me. It's your CEO report. Uh, you can keep it brief. I will. You know what? I'm going to be very brief. I'm not. I, I, I will zip through these slides so we can have the uh, conversation. Now. But, but I don't have a point. There is right. There is it. Down and coming down. Oh, it's down there. Um, am, I, am I good to go here, Dave? Let's see. Yes. Um, but so I can always, I always pause here. You have this. I'm happy to entertain any questions that you might have about this. So was, was my assumption around the emergency room, was that correct? I, I, forgive me. Which uh, around the... Uh, what is it? It's like the fourth item down. Oh, you're talking about the uh, the median time. It's a median time for for uh, from decision to this one is specifically for Highland. That was the uh, yeah. Is that uh, yep. yeah? This is specifically for Highland, but uh, it happens in other sites as well. I don't I don't know the number varies, but it is that's the median time for Highland. Yes. Uh, so one, I, I won't believe this. I, you know, I just said uh, we got some recognition for uh, workforce uh, uh, efforts, particularly for uh, um, entry-level roles and partnerships that we have with the community and with uh, SEIU UHW for some training opportunities as well as our health program and other things. Uh, many of you know that um, we got six million dollars uh, from Kaiser a couple of years ago as a part of our capital campaign uh, uh, to uh, imp and add an MRI unit to our uh, uh, interventional uh, diagnostics center in the core in just a couple of days ago, two days ago, the, the magnet for the um, unit was lifted uh, and placed into place. I should have showed you the picture of the hole in the wall, but we're really excited about that. It's uh, uh, going to be a big deal. I think it goes live in August or thereabouts uh, for us to uh, add that capability to our organization. Um, we, and our ongoing efforts to uh, um, promote our work and to promote um, uh, elimination of healthcare disparities in the community. AHS sponsored recently the, I think it's the 12th Annual National Conference of Healthcare Disparities. Uh, we were one of the sponsors, obviously, uh, and it was here in Oakland. And uh, we gave a, a opening uh, keynote, and you'll see our CEO for Population Health, Andrew Brigham, talking about a lot of the work that we do in this space, specifically around uh, social determinants upstream uh, and our work with health advocates and addressing a lot of issues, including uh, housing as a biggest challenge that faces a lot of our patients. Um, uh, forgive me for adding a picture of our president here, but uh, one, I did it just to underscore a couple of recent activities that happened this week. Uh, I know. I, I, I couldn't find another image on the short notice. Uh, but um, there have been a couple of things happening in uh, Congress and in uh, the White House or the administration around uh, surprise medical billing that uh, we've talked about a couple of uh, times. Uh, uh, one is uh, uh, actions that are happening in the Senate around uh, addressing this, uh, obviously happening at the state level too. And just a couple of days ago, the president ex uh, executed a or issued an executive order on uh, pricing transparency. More work to come around this, but uh, it's a, 
concerning thing, uh, both from the provider side and, uh, and the payer side. Um, uh, its intention, I think, is well-meaning, actually, in this case, in terms of providing clear information to patients around their share of costs and their uh, obligations and, uh, and design, or at least in its spirit, is to drive down the cost of care. Uh, there's some concerns that it may actually have the exact opposite effect, and it's just a little bit uh, challenging for patients just because of the um, sheer complexities of healthcare insurance and uh, the like. Uh, I, too, want to take an opportunity. Uh, there will be a further discussion and an agenda item around uh, the, uh, um, I want to say, outstanding uh, collaborative work between our uh, trustees uh, and our leadership and, uh, more importantly, our providers in both AHP and uh, OCARE around uh, looking at uh, a more collaborative and uh, uh, unified uh, future. Uh, together. Uh, this is not all of our medical staff throughout the organization, but uh, com combined a substantial part of it, and really, I hope, and I am uh, uh, encouraged that it creates a platform for future uh, uh, um, much more aligned and much more uh, um, uh, collaborative work in terms of moving the organization forward, just as the efforts to unify uh, or to consolidate uh, uh, San Leandro with the core uh, uh, actually does create a lot less uh, nuances in terms of how we work uh, and how we can advance the mission of the organization. So I want to thank everybody there. Early congrats, uh, pending uh, what happens here. And more importantly, look forward to the work that we'll have to do going forward to really, uh, really optimize uh, uh, the work around creating the type of culture and uh, collaboration here that we will need to be successful far beyond uh, the sort of technicalities of it, bylaws, amendments, and, and uh, agreements and things of that nature. Uh, in Epic, uh, happy to report that uh, we're back in satisfactory mode after one year on watch, or one, one year, month. great, one month, <laughs> one month on watch status. Um, it is, uh, uh, it's it, thanks to some incredible work from a lot of people. Uh, you'll recall last month, uh, our issues were around some tech, uh, some so uh, hardware uh, pieces that were falling behind that we were able to get over a lot around getting our uh, staff, uh, our providers and uh, uh, nurses and other people involved or registered sufficient number for our training, uh, for our super users and in, uh, super users and um, specialist training specialists and credential trainers or certified trainers, I think, credential trainers, I think. Uh, and we um, closed all those loops. The third one was around order sets and we were falling behind and uh, we still have a lot more to go, but um, as was mentioned in one of the uh, chair reports, I think Alameda, uh, we've made some substantial progress in moving these order sets forward. Uh, we're in basically the phase of testing a lot of um, a robust uh, testing going on and making sure that we're really pressure testing the system to uh, uh, find out where it uh, has its vulnerabilities and really fix those uh, in preparation for training. We're doing some uh, super user and certified trainer, uh, credential trainer uh, uh, training right now, but getting ready for end user training and super user training to come up uh, shortly thereafter. A lot of work we did. Um, Two days ago, our 90-day go-live uh, assessment, after having done a couple of, not quite 30 days uh, before that, our 120 days, uh, point of fact, I think we're about, what, 93 days, I 93 think is that the number, away from our go-live. So uh, things are moving in a very uh, fast pace, uh, but really exciting to see the energy uh, both be uh, high and vibrant, and people, while it's uh, uh, unnerving in some respects, are really engaged and really uh, doing everything they can uh, to support this very important endeavor for the organization. Uh, 
Uh, this I won't go through, but a lot of the uh, accomplishments that happened in the last month, uh, areas of focus, uh, I'll have this to share with you, but we're really um, uh, looking at our integrated testing, getting ready for training, continuing the order set. Uh, Long-term care billing is an area uh, that we're focused quite heavily on. Um, um, I believe we shared with you before, but I think it's important for you to know that um, Epic Wallet has been around for uh, decades and is a very uh, reliable uh, tool, uh, continues to build their expertise. Long-term care uh, billing in particular is not an area where they've had a long track record. Uh, uh, it's an area that's quite important to us and we are committed to being a partner with them on this. Uh, uh, but it's an area where we've had some uh, um, uh, actually relatively good work in our proprietary system that we're making sure that we are prepared to address when we move over to this system which won't have all the functionalities that we currently have. So there's some workarounds that we're having to put in place uh, um, to get the trade-offs of having one big unified system. Uh, but we're continuing to impress upon our EPIC uh, partners the importance of getting those uh, best practices in place as quickly as possible and getting commitments from them on a timeline to make sure that that happens. So more work, but a, a a really uh, strong area of focus, and we're fortunate to have uh, folks like uh, Richard Espinoza, who's quite, and his team, who are quite uh, uh, skilled in this area to guide us and make sure that the organization is very well um, uh, represented in our in our ability and our efforts to move this forward successfully. Question? Uh, question. Yes, sir. Um, I know uh, San Francisco General is implementing Epic as well, right? Yes. And, and they're the using it for their long term. For okay, yeah. Well. Are yes. you guys collaborating at all? Uh, we haven't directly, I, I should say, on the operating side, I don't know if we directly talked to them about this particular matter. Uh -huh. We collaborate on a lot of things in the Epic space, and we do know, and I actually validated this, our Epic teams talk quite uh, 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 heavily. They're about a month out, uh, a mm -hmm. month ahead of us in their yeah. go live. And so uh, we, uh, and our IT team talks a lot to them. So, yeah, there's a lot of sort of information exchange over the bridge. Sure. Uh, just with all their long-term care beds, it seems like it'd be natural for you guys to collaborate. Absolutely, and you're and you're right, and that's what we're doing. And I think uh, we understand that there's about uh, maybe about 30 or so other organizations uh, around the country that are uh, on this journey with us and uh, using Epic as their long-term care tool as well. Finally, uh, budget, as we always present to you, we, are, we continue to be ahead of budget. A uh, uh, little bit of uh, gap closure uh, in terms of uh, costs and uh, effort mo efforts moving forward to uh, activate some of these things, but uh, we're still uh, uh, performing favorable to budget. We're still on schedule, and uh, we have not used any contingency uh, dollars at this point. In fact, I think we've released them to uh, be a part of the cost savings that we uh, have achieved in this year's uh, budget, and we're looking at that in next year's budget as well. That's all I have. I'm happy to entertain any questions. I think we're good. Can you keep moving? Yeah? Yep. All right. What's next? You. You. Uh, Dr. Bouquet. Um, the quality, the QPSC uh, report, I, I am uh, acutely aware of the time. I'll keep this less than four or five, less than four minutes. Um, on May 23rd, the QPSC met, as we always do. Uh, in typical fashion, we approved uh, credentials, policies, and procedures. After that, we moved into our standing agenda item of the QPSC chair report. Uh, for those of you who don't uh, aren't part of the QPSC, uh, we always invite you. This is a this is kind of the forum where which we discuss items of interest and and thought on 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 a variety of issues related to quality. The article which uh, I introduced at that session came from the venerable journal of the Healthcare Financial Management Association, and it was it was called "What Is Quality Worth: Quantifying Potential Cost Savings." And I'm going to give a, a brief quote as it directly relates to some of the things we've talked about tonight and even the article we introduced tonight. Uh, 
to quote from the article. The value of the cost of poor quality as a financial planning tool is that it makes a clear business case for why a healthcare organization should care about quality. It shows you that quality is not just a thing. Quality is the thing. It is a strategic imperative, and as the reimbursement climate continues to change, understanding how to use the cost of poor quality instrument will only become more important. I submitted that uh, at that time that a change of organiz organizational mindset is our opportunity. Embedding consideration of quality into all financial decisions is our opportunity. And I think that might be something that we could discuss at, at, at such a retreat. Uh, the rest of the meeting was, was our uh, effective standard format. We heard from our three uh, wonderful chiefs of staff. We heard from our, uh, our post-acute SBU. We heard from our behavioral SBU. And for those who attend the QPSC, you know part of our standard work is to discuss uh, a rank order list of the, of the presenter's concerns vis-a-vis -vis their space. I, I'm not going to go through every single one, but the themes I will tell you. Uh, there's concern around nurse staffing re with, re with relation to, to EPIC slash Sapphire. There, there's concern about safety. There's certainly concern about, about morale. And, and as discussed um, uh, with Dr. Ballard uh, this evening, we, we have uh, ample opportunities to consolidate trust uh, between all members of this organization. Uh, we, we ended the meeting as a setup, as everyone knows, this is the end of fiscal year this month, and we were framing ourselves to, to develop our true North metric dashboard with, relate, with relation to quality, and we had all those discussions. Um, just as, a, as an add-on note, this evening's article for, for the QPSC was from the Harvard Business Review, How Not to Cut Healthcare Costs. Again, we're, we're, we're making a change, a, a directional change in some of the quality discussions we have, trying to focus on that interface between quality and finance. And uh, I, I strongly encourage all board members, actually all members in this room, to, to consider these questions uh, when, as we move forward in our uh, navigating these financial straits. That's the end of my report. Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to make this quick because we're going to have a much longer discussion about um, where we are with the budget, which was most of our conversation at the Finance Committee. Uh, but uh, I have three items I want to uh, touch on. Uh, the first is uh, through uh, the month of April, uh, we're on track for this year's budget. We're talking a lot about next year's budget, but we, uh, we're about to finish up this year's budget, and we're on track uh, to finish with the EBITDA of uh, 4.6. Percent, um, and so that's no small feat, uh, especially when you consider we found uh, earlier in the fiscal year a revenue gap, uh, and that's really been uh, closed by uh, savings on the expense side. So that's my first item. The second one I wanted to point out that on our agenda on the consent calendar is a contract with the sheriff's department to provide from Alameda County to provide the security services uh, to the system. Uh, that was an item pulled from the Finance Committee in April. Staff uh, went back and tried to find savings in that contract. It's a pretty expensive contract, as you can imagine. And uh, staff was able to, to find almost a million dollars worth of savings. So that's on consent. I just want to share some good news in the middle of all this conversation. And uh, kudos to staff for that, that, that work uh, with the Sheriff's Department. And finally, as sort of a, a precursor or a, what are 
what President's going to say in a moment about the how we're going to proceed on the budget. I just want to remind everyone that our rolling fo forecast continues to show uh, a pretty grim situation. Um, so while we uh, uh, won't be voting on a budget most likely tonight that uh, is draconian, we still have a, a dire situation that we're in uh, regarding the gap between revenue and expenses. So um, we need to work uh, diligently on our partnerships with those who uh, might be able to help us uh, meet the, the needs of this county uh, in terms of its public health system. We need to uh, take the suggestions that we heard from some of our staff, uh, frontline staff today and, and uh, uh, providers within our system to, to find uh, uh, short-term and long-term solutions. That's my report. Thank you. <clears throat> Any questions? No. Oh, great. All right, that gets us to our consent calendar. Motion to approve. Second. All right, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Great. Awesome. I think that gets us to F, F1. Well, F1's just gonna take a second, right, Mike? Yes, that's a standard uh, agenda item for this time. It's basically providing for designation of funds to from the uh, employee retirement uh, health benefits uh, from our contributions to ASERA. So there's a resolution attached. The recommendation is to approve it, and I don't have anything else to add unless there's questions. Is there a motion? I would move. Okay. Second. Second. All right. All in favor? Aye. All right. Great. Motion. All right. Let's get a F2. I'll and I think we have a couple <coughs> speakers. I will um, kick Dr. Bouquet out I, the room. I, I, I will not be kicked out. I'll voluntarily walk out. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I am recusing myself from this discussion. Enjoy your meal. No care. Thank yeah. you. Someone, someone call me back. Yeah, will someone volunteer to remember to call me back? I always forget. All right, uh, so uh, it is with pleasure that we bring this item forward. Um, I don't know how folks want to do it. Um, I do have at least one speaker. I thought I had more. Um, there's only one, just Dr. Savio. All right, um, but okay, yeah, come on up. Um, I can probably have a couple questions for staff, uh, some <coughs> clarifications, so. We're all, as your working group, going to stand here together. Okay. Basically, <laughs> thank you, thank you. It has been a, a heck of a journey, but particularly the trustee Hernandez and trustee. I can't hear you. Speak up. All right. So thank you, particularly to Trustee Hernandez and DeVries for really ushering us to where we are tonight. It should really be the beginning of a celebration. Mm -hmm. um, the end of the beginning, a lot to do, but we're incredibly grateful. So we're standing here as representatives of the AHP and Oak Care Work Group, very proud of the collaborative efforts, sacrifice, compromise, and inspired vision that's brought us to the commitment to your new physician group. New co for now. We'll get a cool name. We got the time. <laughs> so the physician leaders in Care and HP have been in strong agreement, bringing changes to bylaws, physician compensation modeling, benefits, and employment agreement to this new group. We're deeply grateful to the, for the significant time commitment and guidance of you both, all of you, to get to this point. Um, in this time of fiscal crisis for the system, the trustees will be happy to hear that the evaluation of fair market value providers for both AHP and Oak Care fall primarily within the 25th to 40th 
percentile FMV um, as per outside evaluation. So that's fantastic. Um, we're here filled with optimism for the future, HP and OCARE providers, by both HP board, board vote uh, not too long ago, <laughs> last week, and um, just a week ago Wednesday, shareholder vote, very strong unified vote by OCARE membership have agreed to this course based upon the agreed upon changes to the bylaws. I just wanted to say that um, it's been a very long process for us. We've worked on this now for a couple of years. Um, it's had a lot of ups and downs, but we're very pleased at how um, it proceeded over the last couple of months. Please bear in mind that the bylaws that have been presented have been you know, ratified by the mutual groups. Both sides feel very strongly about the choices that were made and the compromises that were given. Um, but also, if um, you're unable to ratify the bylaws, we will have to go back and have a lot of further discussions for what already has been a very long process. So please do regard those things very carefully when you make your decisions about how to proceed with the situation. Thank you. Is that it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Great. We're, we're very pleased to be here discussing this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, um, <clears throat> I just do have a question for staff, Mike. Are the bylaws that are before us tonight what, what those two uh, boards and organizations voted on? So technically, what is before you tonight is a proposal from AHP to amend the bylaws, and those amendments arose out of the discussions that occurred between AHP and OMG as part of the uh, unification discussions uh, just mentioned. Uh, with respect, um, so you know, just by way of background, since you're aware and Trustee Hernandez is aware, so you know, I participated to some extent in those discussions from the standpoint of understanding that there would be. Uh, in all likelihood changes to the bylaws. Uh, the bylaws for AHP are determined by the Board of Trustees. Uh, and part of my function in the discussions was to understand anticipated changes to, in essence, you know, warn of areas where I thought that what was being proposed might be contrary uh, to the intent that originally underlay uh, the bylaws or created issues that might create issues when they come to the Board of Trustees because there were um, areas that were contrary to board policies and procedures or were contrary, you know, to what had originally been laid out in the bylaws. And so it portended the possibility that the board may not agree with one or more of those changes because it required the board to do something that the board wasn't necessarily, you know, that it felt was necessary. So um, uh, in terms of coming here tonight, you know, as the uh, uh, item is laid out, you know, they're essentially the act for the board at this point is uh, to determine whether it will approve the bylaws that are being presented to it. Uh, you know, as Dr. Pernia just uh, pointed out, and I believe was also, you know, reflected in Dr. Savio's comments, uh, it's clear that there is agreement between the two uh, organizations, OMG and AHP, on the changes they're recommending to you. Um, my job is to point out to you that you're not bound uh, by that agreement. Your obligation is to discharge your duties on behalf of the board. And as I had laid out in the memo to you, I felt that there were two areas amongst all the changes that basically required um, the specific consideration of the board, you know, as they are changes that were being uh, presented, uh, which in my view of both the structure of the bylaws and your own board policies and procedures presented issues that would require you to do further things. 
the last item, I think, is the easier one. Uh, there is a proposal with regard to the last article to add the word only uh, to the current language, which basically would be providing that changes to the articles of incorporation or the bylaws of this new organization, NUCO, would only be originated within the board of directors of NUCO. And I've recommended that you not approve that change, that you retain the original language. My recommendation basically is, you know, based on the fact that you as the board of trust. I'm sorry, I want to interrupt. I thought that the only was that only this board could adopt changes to the NUCO bylaws. Uh, it's the board of directors of NUCO. Is that? The changes to the bylaws would originate with the board of directors. That is the Board of Trustees oversight and reserve power to approve any changes in the bylaws. Yeah, so, so the, the, way, the way it's written now, it provides that the Board of Trustees oversees changes to the articles, incorporation, or whatever. It doesn't limit or restrict where those changes might arise. The proposal to that the changes would only come from the board of directors, I recommended against approving that. You know, from the standpoint that that infringes on your authority as the parent organization and essentially uh, the approver of the bylaws. That you know, for example, if the board felt that there was a change necessary, technically that would be precluded by this new language there. Uh, if the board's general counsel felt that there was some need to make a change to the bylaws of AHP for whatever reasons, that would be precluded by that change. And so I think that that is, um, that that contradicts your authority, your retained authorities, which are also set out in the rest of it, so that. So this didn't come up <coughs> during our conversations <coughs> that I recall. So I, I want to make sure I understand the difference between originate and adopt. So, and I just put it like, so what the two board, what the HP board and the new, and the Oak Care shareholders voted on was a, was a, a, a bylaw provision that only the Board of Trustees of AHS can change the bylaws of NUCO, correct? No. We, what we agreed on was that the Board of Directors of NUCO would originate bylaws changes that only the Board of Trustees is able to say thumbs up, thumbs down. So therefore, collaboration must happen. If the Board of Trustees or its council recommended changes to bylaws excluding the medical group, thus ratified by the Board of Trustees, the medical group does not have a say in that. So well, the idea of origination of bylaws changes, it comes to you. You have the bylaws in front of you as our groups agree to with that word just originating from the medical group. If there's any changes, you have ultimate authority, thumbs up, thumbs down, as you should. That's your oversight. Okay. And the only thing I would say, again, my objection to this particular piece is the, the fundamental nature of the relationship between this organization and this board of trustees. And my job is to ensure that you understand that you have absolute plenary authority to determine how this wholly owned subsidiary is going to operate. My concern is that restrictions being placed upon that that are inconsistent with that authority are things that, you should, not, that should not be taken lightly. The idea of, you know, so for example, if the Board of Trustees under this proposed language were to determine for whatever reason that there needed to be a change in the, either the Articles of Incorporation of, 
of the organization or in the bylaws of the organization, you would be required to go to the organization and request that they propose that change back to you. And they may choose not to. If they chose, they could elect and not to. that conversation. Well, then, and then the board could, you know, basically get, you know, fire all the directors and put in a set of directors, you know, who would do their bit. Essentially, uh, the, the point I'm trying... The, so point, the point I'm trying to make here is that the the language as it's currently worded does not preclude uh, a recommendation from the board to you to change the bylaws or the articles of incorporation. It doesn't automatically or it doesn't require or restrict any um, the manner in which you interact with that board to effect a change of the articles of incorporation. And like I say, if you the change is it, it's written basically just goes contrary to what the practice has been. Can I ask a question? Is there a, I guess there seems to be a different intent that, uh, that doesn't seem to be the intent to stop us from making a change. It seems to be about uh, lines of communication and, and collaboration. So is there a way to, to uh, add some language that would require the Board of Trustees to uh, engage the, the new entity uh, if they were to before they considered a change in the bylaws. Okay, can I, Dr. Baden, I think you want to say something. I would like to say that there was ample opportunity to bring up this concern during the working group, and it wasn't brought up prior to, to the documents that were prepared for this meeting. The members of OCARE and the board for AHP voted on the bylaws as presented to you. So if we change them at this time, we're back at the table with a need for another vote. Yeah. So I just want to, I want the board to understand the, the, the process that was undertaken to reach this point. Um, the fact that there was ample opportunity to raise this concern prior to, prior to these documents um, by council, um, and, that it, and that we will have to go back for a vote if we are making substantial changes to the wording as written in the bylaws as voted on by the shareholders and approved previously by the working group. So can I make a comment? Please. Um, with all due respect to our council, I appreciate the caution. I appreciate the observation. I appreciate uh, why this is being brought up. However, um, having watched this sausage-making process, <laughs> yes, it, it, sausage. it, it feels like we asked them to vote on a document and to go back on it now for that language change a little bit, not, not go back, but just change the language a little bit, it, it feels a little bit uh, disingenuous. Just just hold on. So, so if, if I yeah. can interrupt there, because so first off, throughout the process, I was consistent in raising my objections to any points that would interfere with the authority of the Board of Trustees. Okay. If sure. the Board of Trustees wants to accept this change, you know, against you know, the recommendation that I've made for whatever reason, I'm okay with that. Okay. But not because this wasn't raised earlier. All of these objections, okay, or the principle that underlines each of the objections I've raised here were outlined fully all the way up through the very last session of our discussions, you know, within the working group. And I don't think it was a surprise that anything where I felt that it interfered in the two points that I've raised here, that has been throughout. So I, I just want to be clear on that particular I point, and I that. think that you understand that as well, too. No, I respect that you kept bringing up issues about 
governance, management, control, and so on. I do understand that, and I don't want to suggest you didn't bring those things up. I'm just a little bit concerned that right now we have this document with that red bar with, you know, you, you're recommending not to uh, approve that. So my, just, just a comment, I, I believe there has been such effort to create good faith and respect and collaboration, all of the good words that you can think of, to, to not a, approve it as it stands really concerns me. And I just want to say, duly noted, that we need to be on watch for everything that our council has provided, because I think he's bringing up governance issues that are truly important. It's just we have put something before a very large body to vote. And the vote was such an act of commitment to this institution that I don't want to have to go back. That would be a big step backward. Mm -hmm. That is just the observation watching what's happened so far. <clears throat> so, uh, Mike, can I ask what, what the second, uh, you said there were two areas that required consideration. And the second also goes to Article 4, uh, Section 3, with regard to the President, as you recall. You as trustees had made, had provided language which uh, you felt was appropriate for that section that was not accepted by uh, the working group. There remained an issue of the reporting structure between or how that involved, you know, the AHS CEO in this new organization. And again, that's an issue that I objected to that the, the, the potential interpretation without that language, which specifically provided that role for the AHS CEO, was contrary you know, to, the, to the governance principles there. And so, again, my, and also contradicts your board policies and procedures uh, that you adopted, um, I believe it was last year or perhaps the year before. But we fixed that by putting the COO on the board, right? Correct. That was which I know in your mind, and I get it, it's not a perfect fix because mm -hmm. the president of that board will report to that whole board, which will include the COO, who ultimately reports to the CEO, who reports to us. So it's a it's a crooked line, um, but it's a line all the same. I, I think he's talking about us differently. So so I, I understand that part. I think what he's talking and, about is uh, yeah. Both of you get closer to your mics. Sorry. I think what he's talking about here. And, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is the language around uh, the the uh, regular reporting from the subsidiary to the board. So how the, the, manner, the manner in which that occurs is still a, um, a, uh, a matter that's left to interpretation in terms of um, uh, how that actually occurs. So does it occur through the CEO or does it occur directly from the subsidiary to the board, meaning a negotiation between the two boards with respect to uh, the frequency, the manner, and all of that with which that occurs is is not is not a point that was completely resolved as a part of the discussions. But how did it go then? Why was it then sent to a board to them? If we, you know, if all of this and the, then the, the language, these changes are made. No, this is not a change. This is a clarification of an expectation. So the language. It's finalized, and the language just says some form of frequent reporting, and I think that's perfectly okay. Uh, that left open then how how that gets resolved, and the, I think the point here is to figure out um, from the perspective of the fact that you have one employee, uh, how does that 
how does that employee factor into the facilitation of reporting and updating of the subsidiary to the uh, full board? Okay. This was why there was going to be a board member on that board. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Well, our COO is. So. Yeah. All right. So yeah, it sounds to me like we're going to figure that out. And NUCO is not going to be NUCO for a bit, right? That's uh, correct. So That's, there's a year. So under the current construct, AHP will continue to operate as AHP, which is actually an important point uh, to, to, to uh, make with respect to how uh, operations continue over the course of this year as it relates to uh, cool. the, board, the governance and otherwise. And I agree, it's something that, that, is, uh, that, that can be discussed and uh, determined later. I just, uh, I think it's important to take his uh, counsel with respect to understanding that that's a piece uh, that uh, uh, bodes careful consideration and um, uh, okay. deliberation from the board, from the CEO, from the- from We will the, not throw uh, caution to the wind. Sure. Um, however, I think I would entertain a motion that this board adopt the bylaws that were <clears throat> voted on by AHP and almost unanimously by OCARE. Um, and obviously people have more questions, but I'm, I'm ready to adopt that. Second. No, I didn't make the motion. I'll, I'll entertain it. I'm the president. I'm, I'm waiting for someone else to make the motion. So move. <laughs> okay. You have a question? I have one question. I, I'm really uncomfortable. I think it's unprecedented. To the concept of um, bypassing the CEO um, in this subsidiary relationship. I, I don't know, I can't think of another example where a body agrees to have their single point of contact or CEO not be the um, primary representative to a subsidiary. It, it's highly irregular. I'm uncomfortable with this. It's his COO though. But the COO was given a place yeah. on, on the board, board of NUCO to, to, to remedy that. So the president of NUCO will report to the NUCO board. Yeah. I, I understand. I, I looked at this very carefully. And our CEO will be on I don't the understand board. the bypassing of our, our employee. We have one employee, right. board of trustees. I'm looking at lines. I want direct lines. But we just said so that crooked. is something we, we are going to be working out. Um, in the, there, are, there are other aspects of things that need well, to be worked out between I, now and February. But March. as I understand, we have a motion on the table. Well, we're, we're moving to accept, to accept the bylaws as written. No, the bylaws as written. And, okay, and let, me let, let me Let me just say, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to offer you can write bylaws and you can have all the things written down and it's the spirit of how you interpret this it is the spirit of how you work together to move this forward that really makes the difference right because you know i know you can have a very well written set of bylaws and rules and contracts and people still go off the charts with their own you know inclinations my sense is that we have only one employee that employee the ceo supervises the COO who is on their board. Our line of sight is gonna be through our CEO, our one employee. In order to move that board forward, there were many different constellations of um, uh, members to that board. And this was seen as the most <coughs> adaptive and straightforward approach in order to meet some of the needs of the two entities. 
I firmly believe we must have the conversations, the actual working out of how these communication protocols, governance issues that are part of this um, document are going to actually come to life. What's on paper is one thing. How it's actually lived is a totally different thing. And there's a lot of work to be done to make sure that the spirit of this is fully, truly observed. I agree that there are some perils in just assuming, okay, everybody's going to work it out. I believe in what we're doing. I want to add, I want to add that we appoint the board of NUCO. Just as we're appointed by the Board of Supervisors, they will be appointed by us. If that's not authority, I don't know what is. So, yeah. so, so if I might, I mean, the, the flip side is also true, uh, Trustee Hernandez, that what happens with a, a set of bylaws, and this, this is where our counsel comes in, mm -hmm. he's thinking, you know, this is the legal document that binds the two organizations. What happens in five, ten years when the relationship piece that you all have worked diligently on. I appreciate the work everyone is doing. I, I don't want to step on that at all. But we're talking about bylaws. These are stale words that actually have a lot of power. And so what I see, you know, I've been on this board a very limited amount of time, and what I've seen is over and over again, decisions being made in the past that are bypassed, that are shortcuts, that are, uh, for my, my judgment, I, I, you know, and, and we suffer the consequence years later when people thought, oh, I, you know, my hospital system's coming into this uh, bigger system and, and I thought it was this and it really is this over here. And we have a, a hard feelings about it, hurt feelings, uh, <coughs> passionate mm -hmm. discussions uh, and, and spend a lot of emotional capital on it. Mm -hmm. I'm, that's what I'm afraid of. No, We're in one of those moments where a lot of good work is being done for the moment, mm -hmm. with all good intentions, with all these, all good people, and five, ten years from now, someone on this board looks at the bylaws and tries to unravel something, and you've got this crooked line. I, I, I can't do that. That sort of thing in good conscience. Yeah, so fences make good neighbors, right? We need the right kind of language in this to make it work. But let's be really specific about the two things that have been raised by the council. Council says that it's the origination, huh? Origination of changes to the bylaws come from their board to our board for approval. Approval. Mm -hmm. Not that what they suggest is a done deal. It has to come to us. That's that's what it says right now. Am I correct? Yes. Okay. So your concern is what? That when that comes to us, we can't as a board agree to stop it? We can't as a board agree to say, no, go back to the drawing board. I think we can. Second, if we have a line of sight to a wholly owned subsidiary that is managed by the C our CEO, who we manage, is managing the COO. How is that not direct enough for you? I, I want to be clear because uh, that person is reporting up to our CEO. Yeah, it's one Please. seat on the board. So I think, you know, I've, I'm hearing your concerns, Lois, and I, I 
feel some similar concerns. It has a little more to do with understanding my role as a trustee in the governance of this wholly owned subsidiary and what that means. Because as I understand our role, we exercise sort of our role through the CEO. And so um, I think the one seat on the bo on the board that is occupied by the COO doesn't necessarily. It's two. Okay, two The CMO seats. is also on the board who directly reports to the CEO. Great. So, I mean, th that's good, but I think it oh, for yeah, me that. doesn't, <laughs> no, it doesn't answer the question. I think, I guess my question might be for council in that as we operationalize the, all of this, is there anything in the bylaws that we're being asked to vote on now that would preclude a structure wherein the CEO is still, I mean, is still the uh, the overseer of all of the wholly owned subsidiaries, all the contracts, all of that? I mean, that's still, we're not changing that setup, and there's nothing in these bylaws that precludes that. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. That makes me feel a little bit more comfortable because what I don't want is that we now have oversight over two entities uh, or that we have direct authority over two entities. And I think what I'm hearing is that we would not. Our, we still exercise our authority as a trustee over the system through our CEO regardless. I, I think that's correct. I think uh, it really comes down to how it then is exercised because there is a there is still an issue here of potential interpretation of how things uh, uh, get done uh, that uh, needs to, and I'll say from my perspective, be explicit uh, from the intent of the board with respect to doing this, which I want to say again, I think is a great thing in terms of the direction we're moving in. I really feel like it's a big deal to move the organization from a perspective of, of where we weren't three or four years ago to where we're looking at being as a result of this great work that was done today. I think it is, uh, and I appreciate the comments by uh, uh, some of the trustees not involved in this, as well as the ones who've been involved in it. It's incredibly important that it is in explicit to all involved here that the running of the organization, particularly because, as I said before, this group is just a part of the medical staff, not even the entirety of it. Uh, there's a substantial group of uh, 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 doctors who are outside of this as well does not enjoy a direct reporting relationship to this board and cannot for the sake of having a uniform CEO that's responsible and accountable to the entirety of it, notwithstanding that it is a, a, a substantial and a very important block of the organization, it in and of itself will tend, and there are going to be moments where we don't agree, and that disagreement still has to be vetted through the eyes of your CEO, whether it's me or anybody else, uh, in, as a conduit for you having a fully informed discussion about what happens here. And any deviation from that runs the risk of compromising the authority of the individual, the contract that you have between the individual, and the exercising of the operations of the organization. That's all that has to be explicit here for everybody in terms of now actualizing the what I believe is a promise of this organization in this uniform construct. So, so what if we were to go forward with the agreement as as approved? Okay, mm -hmm. and have you know I'm struck by uh, the U.S. Constitution has the Bill of Rights, right? Was approved later, as I recall. So, what if we went forward with it as it's written in good faith, and then identify these items as possible amendments to the contract? Discuss, you know, in other words, negotiated between the parties, obviously. 
I guess I'm still trying to understand. Yeah. Are these things that have to be embedded in the bylaws for some legal reason? If, if what you're saying is that nothing in the bylaws would preclude us from operationalizing this in a way that sort of preserves the integrity of what this Board of Trustees is meant to do and how we do it, um, then would it even mean that we had to amend the bylaws later? Or is it just more about bylaws are fine as they are, but we still need to agree going forward on how this mm -hmm. is all structured? Can I, can I, uh, I, I mean, currently, um, again, you know, with all the respect, uh, currently in the AHP uh, organization as it is, as it stands now, uh, if uh, if the CEO has a bill of amendment that he wants to introduce or change, he can be voted out. And this has happened, right? Like we, there was some oh, change. Your language. When you say voted out, you mean no, no. you mean the, the, the weight of the vote? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And this has happened, right? <laughs> This is what, what uh, that's correct. Yes. That's correct. Sorry, out of it. Sorry, I, I excuse my bilingualism. So I translate sometimes in my. So uh, uh, the, the the issue is uh, in the in the new amendment. I think uh, if there is an initiation of change that this board wants to happen, they can still do it through members who are serving on this board, uh, through the chief operating officer or the chief medical officer, or through the community uh, physicians. So I, I'm just being pragmatic. I understand the legal uh, aspect of this. Uh, I'm being pragmatic. I have dealt with both presidents, presidents of O'Care and the president of AHP uh, uh, throughout my tenure here past three years. And, you know, we have had tough times, but we managed to work things out in almost every single uh, situation. Uh, and, uh, you know, I seek direction from my boss, who's my only boss, who's the chief executive officer. And, uh, you know, my second boss, I say, is a patient. You know, when I'm with a patient, this is my boss. So I, I just am guided by, 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 the, by, by the clinical need on the front line, and I'm guided by, by, by my chief executive officer. And sometimes he doesn't know. He tells me, you know, go to Mike, ask Mike, or go to, go to Luis and ask Luis. So this uh, kind of uh, active relationship is, is the organic structure that you're talking about. It, it is, but I think to um, just be careful and cautious and respect what our council is offering is not to govern by personality, not to be thinking that it's just us. We have to think about the future. And five years from now, we right, could have absolutely. a horrible person in the seat of somebody, and now right. we've got to deal with that, right? So the bylaws do have to protect us, but in my humble opinion, my observation is we, we have two statements that I think we need to really just be very clear. The concern is a change originating from the board comes to us for approval. And the change being suggested um, puts much more of uh, the leadership on us to do this by ourselves. And I think that doesn't speak to collaboration. Second point is again, who's our who's our one employee? CEO. CEO manages the CMO and the chief operating officer. If we can't get something done through that 
it is a crooked line, but there's two people that <coughs> report up to the CEO. I've, I've got to believe that the CEO that we manage could hear from us, no. we are not happy about X. No. That needs to change tomorrow. Tell the COO, tell the CMO, move this forward. So That's going to go to their board. So legal documents are meant for the worst case scenario. Exactly. Okay. So I, I have to bring up a worst case scenario. So five years from now, uh, the CEO is not getting along with the COO and we have an opening in the CMO position. CEO, not going to happen <laughs> with the personalities we have involved now, but goes rogue and does something within the subsidiary with his or her power. But, but, there's, but there's, there's, there's a bunch of other voters at the new subsidiary. But the point is, also has the reserve power to remove board members. But the point is that in that scenario, the executive uh, may not may be in dispute with what um, is is. I mean, there could it just if yeah, but right behind just the way you do it, if if in <laughs> fact we had a rogue COO thinking Star Wars, he's got his lightsaber. Yes. <laughs> And he's got a her bunch lifesaver. of or her lifesaver, right? And she's got a bunch of rogue new co-members. Uh huh. We have the authority to remove them. Yeah, okay. without cause. Look, without without cause. Right, right. But but your bylaws are meant to be the the. You try to avoid, of course, the most extreme measures. But you're bringing, and what I'm saying yeah. is, we're walking into. Uh, I'm worried that we're walking into another uh, twisted line of that we're gonna that the, us we won't be around. You know, okay, you know what we're walking into. We're walking into a truly unified system where the doctors are no, are, with that. are within our umbrella and collaborating with the administration in a way that we we wanted. And with all respect to the people who created AHP, it didn't get launched right. It didn't, I was here. And again, it wasn't because of the architects. It, it just didn't get launched right. And we've spent four or five years trying to fix it. And now we're like totally fixing it. So what, what are we so, solving with? Bypassing our single employee CEO, I don't understand what benefit this provides anybody. Are we bypassing? We're not bypassing. We're not bypassing him. I don't understand how we're bypassing. Can I ask a question? Does this, regardless of whether we the board approves the final change to to the board only, does anything in here remove any authority of this board over AHP? So let me, let me, uh, can I respond yes, to your question and respond to his comment? The, the, the clarification here, at least as I understand it, is putting only is just. Uh, but I'm not talking about that. I'm asking, my question was about regardless of that provision, regardless of only. Regardless of only. If, if, if only stays or if it goes. Uh -huh. Does, does that, or, or, okay, to your point then. If only, let's take the word only. Does having the word only in there increase the amount of oversight by the board in some way. 
Ms. Hopkins, putting the word in only increase your oversight. No. Yes, okay, and, and not putting the word in, does that reduce our oversight? It, it reduces your authority to initiate changes to the, uh, the documents. We, so we can't go through the COO to, to you change the You have to go through the COO. Right now, you don't have to. You're the board. You so can go directly. I wouldn't know what to initiate as a change in AHP right <laughs> now anyway. <laughs> I would go right. to you and say, and, what and the hell you change? It's an issue of trust. I mean, if we keep going on about this and we say, well, we have to have this word in here, and I, you know, it may somehow reduce, uh, although I, I, I find it hard to follow that it reduces our authority since we have authority over the entire board, the appointments, the approval of the bylaws, etc. I find it hard to figure out unless we're, we're going to every meeting and making sure that every T and is crossed and I is dotted, that it reduces our authority. So I would just recommend that we move forward because it's an issue of trust. The whole entire care board uh, everyone in Oak voted on this the way it was before this recommended change. And, you know, I, I can see that this would be something that you would make um, the council feel more comfortable, and that's, that's laudable, and I appreciate that. I just say one last thing, I'll let you release this. But I want to, let me finish. I wanna I want to say that Oak trusted this process. We had two board members that worked closely with Oak leadership to do this process. I... I, I trust that O'Care is going to follow through and that AHP now new new is going to be continue to be the tremendous and, and primary asset that AHS has as in every way, not just in providing care, but in every way, providing support and, and program management and everything that you do. And so it's a matter of trust. I mean, we did this, so let's find, let's finish it. Let's move forward and say that. We trust that this process can work, and if we need to make a change, I trust that at some point we'll work with the board to make the change. With all due respect, my uh, problem with this is not about trust. Uh, matter of fact, I deeply respect all the work that's gone into this, the good faith that has been involved to try to find a compromise to this. And I'm just telling you, in my fiduciary responsibility, I cannot accept this. I'm, you can go to a vote, I'll vote against it. That's what boards do. Yeah, and, I, and I'd, I'd just like to say that so much work has been done to um, facilitate trust and to see how we move forward. And this, uh, I just feel like uh, by bunging this at this time, it just, uh, it, that might not be our intent, but that would be the optics of it, that somehow um, if the collaboration um, is not, it, it is suspect. And I do not, um, I do not want uh, us to begin a relationship on that. Front. Yeah, the thing I'm trying to get clear on it's not about in, you know decreasing our authority at all. Actually, um, it's it's actually about increasing our level of responsibility over the day-to-day -day operations of this board. That's what I'm trying to clarify here. And so right now, I don't have to worry about every little contract that's under a million dollars or every you know every little thing that's happening because. That's what our CEO's job is, and then we get to vote on the things that are over a certain amount of it that rise to a certain level. Once that's removed, my concern is do we now become responsible for a contracting decision? Uh, so no, let me draw you an analogy. Let me draw you an analogy. Our t Tony has people that handle 
benefits and negotiations and all that stuff. And we don't get down to three levels. We rely on him through Delvecchio. Well, that's my point. Right. So the th and this the is big the stuff, the, the big stuff he brings to us. Yes. But that so when we keep saying we're bypassing the CEO, I'm just trying to be very clear. Does that make it a different relationship than what you're talking about right now? Does it mean that somehow there's a direct oversight that we need to have? That's what I'm trying to get clear about. Or is there anything in these bylaws that makes it so that we could ensure that it's not going to be that way? I, I think, if I may, here's a way for this board to probably resolve that. We have the group of collaborators here. We call you the founding mothers and fathers. Uh, and, and, and this board. If you're being clear, which I believe you are, uh, that uh, your, your, your expectation is that the oversight for the entirety of the organization, including NUCO, is through the CEO, that you want to make sure that this group agrees with that. You just ask and then make sure, and if you're, that's the case, then that becomes a frame for which, irrespective of what the board looks like or who reports to who, that that is the that becomes the mantra by which all of the work is done here. So you've expressed that. I think they're expressing that, but I haven't heard it. So maybe for you, it will be important for you to hear that, and then that can guide then uh, you having clarity that this language allows you to move forward, us to move forward with, it, with that spirit. Yeah. Um, Do you want to comment so on that? I just want to clarify. My understanding. I can't, I can't hear you. So I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just get close. Get close. Hello? Yeah. yeah. So just to clarify that I understand, the, the manifestation is that the COO and the CMO on the board of NUCO reports directly to Del Vecchio, who is your employee. Mm -hmm. And if you want to manifest anything, you do it through the system portal of Del Vecchio, through the action, uh, the action guys, both guys, go figure. Um, of, of the CMO and the COO, right? I mean, except for the two of eleven. So yeah. it just, I mean, right. yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. If you agree that that would be the framework, which it sounds like you're espousing, let's just make sure we're all on the same page, and that'll be a demonstration that we're all committed to that purpose, and then we can move forward. You all can move forward with taking action. And none of the reserved powers that currently exist in the relationship between AHP and this organization and this board have been changed in these new bylaws. Reserved powers of this board still exist. Yeah. I think the we question added one, actually. We, yeah. we gave you more reserved powers. I, so maybe just maybe answer answering question. the question yeah. would be the way that you could get clarified. I'm, I'm lost on what the question is. The question is, are you in your in, are you in your um, move to consider this action, doing that in the spirit of understanding, as you have articulated, that nothing about this changes the notion that your one employee who is responsible for overseeing the entirety of the organization, including the subsidiary, is a CEO, and that uh, any yeah. actions and activities. Can, can uh, I make uh, No, because look. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be amazing if we had had this much debate over all of the authority we gave the Health Care for the Homeless Board last month, and we didn't. And they, they have authority over that arm of our organization. And we're just like, cool, 
Uh, it's so a very clear. Uh, uh, I know it's, I know it's different. But I, I, do you want to hear? This is supposed to be the fun part of the night. <laughs> <laughs> but does that this is supposed to be the part where we all cheer and celebrate. If you wanted to. Well, one layer that I don't think has been discussed is why it was so important for that board to have so much representation of the physicians, the providers. Yes. And I, I'm just going to try and go gently here. Um, it is important to that board that the people who are providing the clinical care that we depend upon to have quality services have a place where their voice is heard. Yes. And so the nature of the structure is to protect that because that's important. Yes. That's important. So I, I want to be very careful that we not misinterpret why that structure took the tone and the shape that it did. Okay? So I'm hearing Del Vecchio, though, say figuratively, <coughs> not on paper, figuratively, there is an implicit expectation that his leadership still governs what happens in the entire organization, including this subsidiary. And that is true. There's no doubt. Look, they're all nodding. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, we did that on cue. It was really good, but I didn't ask. Okay. And, and so that is the understanding. However, however, by putting him on the board of NUCO, that would have created an imbalance in the perception of this physician. Uh, not, that's not what I don't think what okay. we're that's saying not, would be needed. No, 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 yeah. no, no. So we, we said if the CMO and the COO were on the board, our CEO would still have that influence directly, right? So it's still like figure to work with you, right? So you made the motion. I have a friendly amendment. Okay, but I'm going to say my motion is to accept what was written on paper by the. You don't have to accept the amendment. <laughs> okay. I just want you to. Okay. And the amendment would be to recognize that the Board of Trustees still recognizes the authority the, um, the authority put in its executive director um, to manage the operations of this system. So your amendment to the motion is to accept to, the motion. To, that, yeah. to, so so the, the, the motion is to accept the bylaws as written. Your amendment is going far. Yes. Your amendment isn't to the bylaws. It's Correct. To, it's just to our motion. Correct. And to recognize that the CEO that, that the CEOs is the manager of the is the. You know, perhaps CEO. I could suggest that maybe maybe you just do two separate things. You know, just go ahead and you know, with all due respect to Trustee Shaquan, that you go ahead and uh, take up the motion of approving uh, the bylaws. You know either as recommended or as written, uh, and then have a separate action that, you know, in conjunction with whatever action was taken previously, the board also makes the following statement. Sure. I guess I would love to hear from the two, the two presidents here, you know, if this, is, if this all sounds right and agreeable to you, because I don't want us to sit here and do this and then find out later on that, we're, that, we're, that this isn't the spirit of what you all intend. This is agreeable to us. 
I mean, from my fundamental standpoint, the way that the board operates is, is not particularly different from how it is in the AHP setting, which has been operational now for three years. The proportion of AHS representation is the same. We changed out who some of the individuals were, not necessarily in an attempt to restrict authority on any level, but simply because we felt certain people were better suited to the roles in terms of what their voice brought to the discussion. Um, and particularly the COO has a, I mean, they, they understand what's actually f happening in the hospital and across the system. And we, we felt that that voice was important, so we elected to make that change. But we, we do recognize the line of authorities. I agree with that, concur with line of authority. You have one employee, that's your CEO. The desire in report team was that the president of NUCO in some fashion via QPSC or uh, as suggested by trustees, possibly guest trustees at the board of NUCO, there's just open, transparent communication, which enhances your oversight. Great, so, so basically, just to make sure I'm crystal clear, I, I like the idea of communication, certainly directly to the board of trustees, but in terms of sort of oversight, et cetera, there's, a, there's an understanding that the CEO is responsible for all of the operations of the system, which includes NUCO. Yes. And that, yes. okay. Yes. Fantastic. Absolutely. You have one employee. That's the motion. That's the next. Oh. That's the next motion. All right. Okay. So you're withdrawing your friendly amendment, yes, but reserving the right to make a motion in a minute. Okay. So the motion on the floor is to adopt the bylaws as adopted by AHP and the Oak Care shareholders. And you made the motion, I and you seconded it. No, you made, made it. Whatever second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. No. Okay. It's all right. The motion so passes. Both conscience. Yeah, I thought that, that your your motion you're about to make was going to bring you along. It didn't get assumed into the motion. I, well, that it passed. We did it. Really, I want unanimity on this one, but that's fine. Do you have a motion you want to make? Yes, uh, no, how do you want to make a motion? You just said it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the mechanics of adopting a resolution of some sort? Yes, yeah, some language that we... That maybe we should use. Yes, and I think it, the simple procedure at this point would be, you know, a second motion. So uh, I believe Treasury Shaquan is moving that the board adopt a statement that by its approval of the bylaws, it is not altering the relationship between the board of trustees and the CEO and his authority over the entire organization. What he said. What he said. <laughs> so that that's the motion. Second. Okay, so I'll, I'll make the motion, yeah. Oh, okay. Do I need to repeat it? Or? No. <laughs> All in favor? Aye. 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 I vote against that one. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your hard work. Yes, thank you, everybody. Can I just say I really appreciate our Board of Trustees and their commitment to processes with integrity. It's really, it's very refreshing, especially in 2019. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, uh, will somebody get Dr. Paquette? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you remember this. Yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, so that brings us to, um, oh, item three? Yeah. 
Yes, this is a small amendment to a contract. This was contract was approved by the board back in November. A subsequent element of the underlying relationship for that contract requires essentially extending the authority by 45 days. So in order to get the underlying contract signed, we need this 45-day amendment. Um, and Got it. The I'll take a motion. Second. No, I'll, I'll, uh, somebody, I'll uh, ask. Yeah, I'll make the motion. All right, great. Do I have a second? Sure, second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Great. All right, now for the fun stuff. That wasn't fun? No. <laughs> no, it was fine. I'm, I'm just getting grumpy. Yes, um, I noticed. Sorry. <laughs> um, so we're on item G, um, and as, as folks know from the um, agenda packet, um, I've placed the budget, uh, the, the draft budget in, in, the, in the packet as an informational item um, with, without any intention of adopting that budget tonight. Um, G2 is a resolution that will extend uh, the staff authority to keep operating the system for up to 90 days. Um, but I want to be really clear that we made a request of the Board of Supervisors that we not adopt a budget and that we be given 60 days to work it out. And we made that request based on um, a conversation that we had with, with some uh, leadership at the Board of Supervisors uh, indicating that the, um, they wanted to work with us. Now, um, we've all received a letter from uh, Supervisor Valle. Uh, we've all um, made it clear that, that the county has, has, has hired Toyin to do a, a deeper dive into our financials to, to basically see what they can see. Um, we've asked that they share that information with us uh, so that it could help guide any opportunities that may exist for greater revenue capture or cost reduction or, or, or even simple errors that might show we, ha we will have more money than we thought. Um, they've indicated back that they would like us to hire our own um, outside consultant to do that math as well. Um, the, um, I've also gotten a letter tonight from the county assessor, uh, pardon me, auditor controller, um, who's also uh, retained uh, independent financial services, um, but the auditor controller has also indicated that they do not, um, that they think that, this, that we should retain our own um, financial services also, so uh, there were a whole lot of people looking at our books. Um, I'm, I'm, I would prefer to use the county's information and the auditor's information, and I'm sure that they'll be forthcoming with that when they're ready, but they do want us to, um, to, to do it as well. Um, so just to kind of frame this a little bit, we've got a lot of people that signed up to speak. Um, we're not, I mean, we're not adopting a budget tonight as far as I'm concerned, but, and we're not out of the woods. Um, we've got limited time, very limited time to actually deal with this. So I hope nobody had big summer vacation plans. Can I, can I just ask clarification? Sure. How do we operate for the next 90 days if we don't adopt some? Because budget? that's what G2 is. Um, okay. So we, G2 is a resolution, and I, I of course, left my, um, oh, okay. I left my iPad. Uh, 
next to the toaster. Um, no, no, no. I, I've, I've read the resolution. I just can't. I have, no. So G2 is a resolution authorizing our staff to continue expenditures, you know, uh, using the current budget for, for up to 90 days so that, so that we can still operate. Um, thanks. Um, oops. So that's, that's what G2 is. Um, Got it. Thank you. <laughs> Fucking, yeah, I know you did. I just, uh, yeah. So, so we'll, 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 we'll do that, but I did want to keep the old budget in there just for, for public knowledge. Um, we asked the county for 60 days. G2, the, the resolution gives us 90 days. The reason that it's structured that way is we technically don't meet until the end of September. And 90 days, uh, pardon me, 60 days from June 30th would be August 30th or thereabouts, um, which is prior to when we meet. We may need to call a special meeting in August to adopt a budget within that 60-day time frame that we asked the board for. And so that's what I mean about we're on a tight timeline. So 90 days is not what we really have. It's really 60. Um, and I really want to say also that I was... I was um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I was excited by the, the air of collaboration that I felt from our, our county leadership in, in wanting to work with us. Um, they are, of course, the, the stewards for the whole county. Um, we, they've been given us a, a huge responsibility in overseeing the governance of this system. Uh, and they, but they, they really have a, a, this county has been really dedicated to healthcare. I think we're, we're unlike some other counties, uh, certainly around the country. And so I think we have a really good opportunity here and we can use this crisis to build an even stronger relationship with the board um, move, moving forward. So um, I kind of, with that, uh, Lewis, you, you've been, as our finance chair, you've been really deeply involved in this, so I'll kind of turn it over to you if you want to make some comments. Um, I don't have a structure planned for this item. Um, I, I want to just give everyone the opportunity to speak. We have a lot of public speakers um, and, uh, and, and let my fellow board members who weren't at the finance committee or weren't at that meeting with the board of supervisors um, ask your questions because I'm not comfortable um, with, with any appearance of a lack of transparency or a two-tiered board where some of us know what's going on and others don't. The Brown Act requires that we meet you know, uh, in public, uh, but when I was asked to meet with a board of supervisors and, and with four of our trustees, I knew that that left four trustees out, uh, but I felt that it was an urgent situation and that we should do it, and so for those who weren't there, I want you to be able to ask your questions. Um, so with that, I'll, you know, Lewis, you want to chime in? Yeah, I mean, I was going to start the same place that, again, making the point around communication that I think it's been very, very uh, challenging for those of us sort of in the middle of this to um, figure out how to communicate um, directly to stakeholders um, information that's accurate and I, I I'll come back to that as we continue to go through this because uh, one of the things I've learned in talking to staff is uh, and I think they they're absolutely right in, in uh, guarding for this uh, for example, giving information to um, our primary stakeholder, our, our, uh, our staff, that is inaccurate, it can be extremely harmful. I mean, not, not just difficult on an emotional level and, and uh, uh, cause worry and concern, but can have other consequences. So we're, you know, that continues to be a challenge in all this. So the other point I'd make is that 
Um, it is th this is not easy work, and it is very tempting to uh, run from it, quite frankly. Um, I, I run a nonprofit organization, and I've been in many of these budget crises through the years. That's just the nature of running a nonprofit uh, organization. And it's very tempting to ignore structural uh, problems, as uh, Trustee Peterson put it. We have structural issues here that will not go away um, in the short term uh, and probably will require us for the next several years to um, be talking an awful lot about the budget, looking at uh, things that we probably never thought we would be discussing, um, hopefully finding all sorts of creative um, solutions and new partnerships. Uh, but it's this is really a heavy lift, and I just want to. I'm not trying to bring down the the the, the mood, but we've got a real serious um, challenge here with the gap that that we have, and we've got to take it on. Um, the The thing we need to do, though, uh, Dr. Smith uh, is, was very helpful, I think, today in having to sort of be the foil for this conversation. Uh, Trustee Abeleta and, and Trustee Peterson at the Finance Committee played that role, asking very um, hard questions to answer about the impacts of uh, cuts to essential services. And uh, they're right to ask those questions. Uh, others are right to make the points that they need to make. And at the end of the day, we've got to figure out how to have a balanced budget. We don't have, we, that's not a luxury. We don't get to say, well, the option is we we just pass it on. We just month after month we accumulate uh, debt, and that's when you know I, I don't even want to talk about what that looks like. Uh, uh, that, that that's a real dire situation for the whole system. So that's where we are. Um, I fully support us moving ahead. I agree with uh, President Pervis that uh, we had a uh, excellent meeting with uh, Supervisor Valle and Chan. Supervisors by Chan uh, about um, working together on this, trying to find um, solutions, having um, everything on the table, quite frankly, to get there. So I'll, I'll leave it there. Trustee Mandels? So, um, something that maybe we need to do at the retreat, but I would like to ask the board to take out their board playbook and turn to the, lat, the second tab, which had our financial plan. And the point I want to make is that what gives me a lot of anxiety and a lot of um, just, just real concern, uh, because I am not an accountant. I don't pretend to be one on TV. Um, and I look at what the numbers were for what we said were actuals or forecasts I think this is just a year old. Is this correct, Rana? Is this just a year old? Okay. Sorry, which page are you on? I'm on page five. five. I'm on page five yeah. and two. Yeah, it's a multi-year. Forget that. Yeah. So could everybody just look at that for a moment? Because yep. a year ago, had I known that we were about to experience this, I would have started a year ago asking the question, what's happened? How are we going to deal with this? And I know that we've gone through a couple of changes in our um, CFO, so I understand that that might be a factor. 
but some of the differences here kind of scare me. So can you give me a little bit of just what's this about when I look at these numbers and how different they are from what we have in our budget now? I think one of the, I'll just point to one of the, the, the major ones, and it's really the first line. It's the net revenue. Uh, the the as as you know, forecast. Oh, Pick the mic up. It's just right. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know, the forecasts are point in time expectations around what the future looks like, and the further out you look. The less, the more speculative it is, the less reliable it is. What we have done uh, since the last waiver uh, was put in place was effectively look at our uh, revenue, the com totality of the revenue, as more of a continuation, barring any sort of substantive changes to uh, either funding or programmatic changes we make in this organization. It's more of a straight line sort of. If the war continues the way it is, this is what it will be. One of the biggest assumptions, and forecasts are informed by a set of assumptions, uh, that has changed between the last forecast, the one you're looking at now, and the one uh, that you see in the current draft budget, is that we are now closer to the end of the current waiver, and we felt that as an organization, it would be irresponsible to pretend that a year from now, when this current waiver ends, actually a year and a half from now, to continue to uh, project that something is going to fill its void. To do that three years, four years, even two years out is reasonable in the sense that you can't, you don't want to be overly, when you do a forecast, you want to blend being aggressive and being overly conservative. So you strike a balance. The closer you get to something being imminent, then that informs you differently. So what we're saying now, uh, uh, in a major, as a major difference between what you've seen not just last year but in prior years, is we are closer to the end of the waiver and we don't know what's going to replace it. So now we're encouraging us and you to think about what the future will look like if, in a year and a half from now, nothing replaced it. And just for the, our audience, how, how much? What, what's the waiver? Like, how, what, what's that in dollars? The total amount on an annualized basis. I'm looking at and to tell me if you know. I think the number is for the waiver. It's a portion of our supplementals. I'm going to guess it's a little bit combined over uh, approximately 100 million dollars. It has gone down. I think it started at about 120, and by the end of the waiver, which we knew in years four and five, and by the way, this was year four, and we, we lost some money in this year's waiver, uh, that it was going to decline in the two years, the last two years precipitously. We forecasted that. What we had also been forecasting was all the work you've been hearing about over the years with EPP, QIP, Medi-Cal, GME, were all the efforts that statewide we were putting in place to offset those losses that we were going to get under the current waiver and be a vessel for future funding. Again, now that we're closer, we know that those programs have not materialized in the way that we thought they would, or we hope that they would, I should say, and that now we still have a, a much more imminent crisis that we're giving us about a year and a half to think about. What will we do? So it may not come to pass. We're now taking what we believe is still the balanced but more responsible so approach saying the closer we are now, so we don't have it. When you say it may not, not come number. No, 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 that's not what you're saying. But when but, you. but when you say it may not come to pass, you mean I mean the, the waiver could be replaced by something and yeah. who is that up to? 
that's up to the state and the federal government. Right. If which which branch of the state and federal government? Okay. Just so everyone so understands. It's, it's the Department of Health and Human Services for the state of California uh, through CDPH, or is it CDPH? I'm sorry. DHCS, Department of Healthcare Services, yeah. thank you, and CMS. It's split 50-50 between the right. federal and state government. The waivers are put in place by those two entities, yes. And so, yeah, I just, it's half the federal government's decision and it's the administration. Correct. So the executive branch. Well, I mean, there's, there, there, in, in the state of California, <laughs> sure, 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 yeah. well, the state of California, there's legislative activity. At the federal level. At the federal level, yes. It's so it's serious. not unrealistic to assume there's some gridlock that may not have a waiver replacement materialized. So are we saying that this budget deficit is because we don't expect we have our current waiver in place. Fiscal year 20's budget is under the current waiver. What happens in fiscal year 21, forecast rise, okay. is where So this has nothing to do with our current budget deficit. It has nothing to do with the waiver. I thought it was about supplementals, but well, I'm sure we'll hear more about that at the retreat. It's not doing anything with the waiver, right? No, no. Is that doing anything with the replacement waiver? It has something to do with the current waiver, where supplemental dollars are going down. Yes. And so that was not able to be forecast? No, that was forecast. What, was, what is now true, or what is now known, is that the other programs that we put in place don't rise up to the level to offset the losses and supplementals that we are going to experience. You know, I, I, I'm going to say something here, too. Is sure. I, you know, I've been working with the, with the psych staff uh, leadership around yes. the deficits at psych. Yes. And <coughs> some of it, is, it has a lot to do with uh, what's happening outside of the hospital. A lot. It, uh, you, so, you know, this, uh, the metric dashboard you gave us said that the target for uh, the baseline for 2019 for the mean uh, from decision to admit to inpatient to actually getting in inpatient was uh, seven days, <coughs> seven hours. Now it's 14 hours. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you and so that means people are not moving through the system. Okay, mm -hmm. we're not we're not able to get the revenues that we would otherwise get because we're people are getting backed up. Yes. They're on administrative days. Medical Medical, for instance, as I recall, says uh, once you no longer meet medical necessity, you go to the uh, distinct part SNF rate. So you have a service that could cost several thousand dollars a day that you're getting paid, what, four or $500 for it? Yeah, for admin days, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So I, so I think you look at the things that are happening around us, and that really has a lot to do with it. I think with the, you know, when we were talking about the psych emergency services, in, in addition to, uh, you know, those sorts of things, the county made decisions in the past that are now having a tremendous impact on us. Okay, they decided to close a 20-bed uh, unit of which uh, 16 beds were dedicated to the psych emergency service. Okay, and you can imagine the impact that that's had. Uh, there were no, you know, 10 years ago there were no criminal justice clients in the inpatient program because they had a separate program of their own. 
that program was closed. Uh, they tried to send, take them to Santa Clara, and that didn't work out. And now they're now they're back at uh, John George. And those are beds that could be treating the community. Those could be some of the beds that are helping some of the homeless folks. You know, that meet medical criteria. And so I think I think it's it's very complex. You know, the Ross, could you clarify that about the beds that were closed instead of just saying the county? Yeah. <coughs> who, who was it? And where were those beds? Oh, okay. They were uh, at the jail. The downtown jail, they had a, a criminal justice inpatient program. Okay, they uh, it ended up not meeting credentials to you know continue to be there, so they moved it to Santa Clara. I don't know all the details behind it, but I know that when I went to the inpatient program, that I think it's 27 percent of the beds were occupied by criminal justice clients. To give you a for instance, so the, and I think there there are two other factors I'd like to mentioned first we found back last May uh, a revenue projection issue related to how we were assuming uh, net patient revenue was coming in and that was a 24 to 28 million dollar uh, error and assumption you can see it in the past document exactly okay. right so there's that and then um, the the other the other the, the, sort of to look at it at a macro level to try to uh, try to figure these things sometimes from the top but go down it, if you look at uh, projections for revenue out and you then look at expenses out we're at about a three to four percent inflation rate um, on the expense side and we're flat on the revenue side so that's why you, you know, I mean, it, very simply put, it's, it's all these other complicated pieces underneath, but very simply put, you have stagnant revenue or, or dipping revenue and no, uh, no real savings to be had in your expenses uh, without starting to look at uh, essential cuts, essential service cuts. And that's the great challenge that we're in. Yeah. I think that's correct, and uh, thank you both. And I, I want to publicly thank uh, uh, Trustee Peterson. Uh, your your knowledge and insight has been very helpful to the team uh, uh, around um, behavioral health uh, services and billing. And uh, as you know, and others will uh, discover, uh, we have made I think uh, tremendous progress over the last two weeks in looking at how those services are billed uh, uh, and, and now having uh, communicated. I'm hearing from staff in the back no that is true so so okay whatever that's easier than I'm going to rejoin the QPSC committee and, and get well, all we're happy to have you okay yeah so the the other thing of course is budget is, budget is always a guesstimate right it's your Correct. best it's your best estimate at the beginning of it the is your best guess and it is the guess that you you, you try to then uh, manifest in terms of actual activity but unless i could actually go out and say i want 
you know, this amount of people to come in and, and this amount of people to go out every single day and they have to be this pyramid and my costs and my expenses have to be exactly this. I, we can't make what is a document that is predicated off of your best information actually become true. All we can do is keep updating that with current knowledge and then manifesting that as a portion of how we see things going forward. How and we, and, and we're committed to treating people who don't have resources. Absolutely. Right. Right. So Absolutely. where is the biggest opportunity for finding revenue without eliminating jobs? Wow. Uh, uh, so <laughs> finding revenue without eliminating jobs, I think uh, for an organization of this level of complexity, um, I don't know that you will ever be in a situation where, and this is extreme, so I just want to uh, say that and, and recognize that, where you could say that you would, you'd never be in a situation where jobs wouldn't actually uh, um, uh, evolve, which includes new jobs as well as existing jobs going away by virtue of the changes in demand in, in, in the community and uh, care delivery processes. Mm -hmm. You're always going to have some situation where there is a change of the, the, the workforce that's mm -hmm. occurring. So, so I think there are plenty of opportunities to identify revenue, and I think we are actually doing those things. And then if those are happy to share with you, I was just mentioning the I was actually going to ask for that. Yeah, yes. I think right. a couple of the big buckets that you're really we're going to be looking at over the next few few weeks to month with the county. Yeah. Sure. So, so, so the biggest one we're looking at uh, right now is PES. The next one after that is going to be uh, uh, inpatient psych, actually. Uh, those are the major things that we contract with the county for. The other things are contracts with Years. So, and as you know, we actually renewed last year a set of rates with our biggest payer, which is the Alliance, that hadn't been renewed for over 10, 12 years, or I think it was 10 to 11 years. Those rates, because they were so substantial in terms of what we negotiated, we had to negotiate with them a three-year uh, ramp-up period so that they weren't tanked as an organization in terms of recognizing our true cost. So we're, we're, we're doing that, and that's a macro uh, level assessment. The rest are it, it fall within different areas. So as I mentioned earlier in OB, we're looking at how to increase volume. Uh, we're having some discussions in other areas around, you know, are there opportunities? I, I, I'm blanking right now on the specific areas, but I'd be happy to share with you. We are looking at a lot of opportunities. The other big areas is just overall charge capture. When, when we go live on Sapphire across the organization, ambulatory, acute, post-acute, we've been talking to staff about how we're going to make sure that we have greater visibility into the entire web cycle, making sure charges flow through, making sure that we don't have situations like we currently have where people will do their work. They'll actually get charges in, and then through some crazy machination, through bouncing through all of our systems, they fall off. And then we find that you know when we go and work those queues, we have some charges that people dutifully enter not to say the, the part that doesn't that, that that hasn't happened, but they do it. They did their work, but because of the complexities of our infrastructure, they didn't make it all the way through the building. So we and we forecasted a couple million dollars of improvement for our organization as a result of this investment uh, that will actually help us to get there. So, so I'm happy to uh, identify several more, but there are a lot of revenue improvement opportunities. And I want to say, pursuant to the discussion earlier, we're actually already engaging or have set up, because I haven't started yet, but they are happening in about two weeks here, conversations <coughs> with external entities to help us to identify further opportunities for revenue improvement. Great. I, I'm glad you said that because uh, I, I've been approached by several docs uh, around this revenue question. We 
we discuss that. Yes. Um, and it's another example of the sort of collaboration that I think is really necessary between providers and administration Absolutely. around getting to revenue. So uh, you've been very open to hearing that, and it's good to hear that you're on, on the next step already. Mm -hmm. It would be great to get a, a more detailed report at our, our finance committee meeting. On, Absolutely. On Me and Experto, for example, my first meeting, I think, is February 15th or something like that. June? July? I'm sorry, yeah. I'm involved I just, yeah. yeah <laughs> July, yes. It feels like it's like the second month in a year. Right? I don't know. Wrong quarter. July, yes. <laughs> a lot sooner than February. You Thank know, you. of course, to, 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 to deal with the structural deficit going forward, we're going to have to kind of crystal ball what's happening in the future. I mean, there just isn't a, and part of it is what happens in the city of Oakland, what happens with housing in Alameda mm -hmm. County, what happens with exit resources for psychiatric mm -hmm. services. Yeah. Yeah, and state, state reimbursement yeah. rates in federal. Yeah. What happens with the 340B program, what happens right. with Medicaid DISH, all so those things have substantial impacts. So I'm going to say it one more time because I've said it privately and I'm going to say it out loud. I, I'm really concerned that, that at some point we need to rent the Coliseum before they tear it down <laughs> and have all of public health, us, Healthcare services and all of the nonprofits that are touching our same population, uh -huh. and ask ourselves, where where are we missing the opportunity to really alleviate some of the things that you've talked about? Sure. I'm super concerned that we are probably all touching a core set of patients, a core set of individuals, and there's probably real loss of efficiencies because we don't know about that from one another. Yeah. Epic is going to help. I understand that. I'm waiting and hopeful and all, you know, we're, we're going to have the advantage of that. It's just um, look at some of the services that public health is doing. Do we collaborate and effectively <laughs> manage those patients that are supposed to get services in the community, stay well in the community, or are they trickling in here when we could have prevented something out in the community? I, I don't know the answer to that, but where do we ask those questions? Is that, that's a question? Yeah, like when does that happen? When does that happen? I think it happens in a couple of forms. Well, per, per, I, I would say on a broader basis, uh, let me just say a couple of forms where there are engagements between specific disciplines and uh, uh, collaborators. So we have forms with our community health clinic uh, uh, network mm -hmm. partners. We have forms with the plan. We have forms with the county uh, healthcare services in particular, where we talk about collaborative opportunities. Those, those meetings happen at least that one. One of them on a quarterly basis. Others on a monthly basis. Probably not enough to actually look at all the elements of this. Uh, uh, and I, I, I fully concur that there are probably opportunities where. Uh, there is duplication in our systems. There's a challenge, though, that every organization becomes an animal unto itself, right? Mm -hmm. So there are everybody who, who believes, and with good reason, that they can provide a service. And I'll say uh, from the perspective of an organization that uh, provides, I believe, great services, that is comparatively uh, probably more costly than a lot of our colleagues who do similar services. Mm -hmm. uh, but to not do those services in our context unless there is great alignment, which couldn't cross the line of being collusive, obviously, and we have to respect patient uh, uh, rights and provider uh, mm -hmm. sentiment, um, with 
potentially be problematic for us. For example, what I'm saying is, uh, if we explored a world where AHS didn't do primary care, we didn't do primary care, we only focused on doing subspecialty and specialty services and allowed primary care services to uh, expand and proliferate in the community clinics and other uh, um, community-based providers who provide that and have mm-hmm. you know, great quality as well for the community. We would we be in a situation where, from a systemic perspective, that might pretend for a risky environment for us. Mm-hmm. Because the, expense, the more expensive services, the acute, the post-acute, all lives with us. The specialty and the subspecialty lives with us. And if you don't have a sufficient enough feeder system into that, then it's, your situation is even worse than it currently is. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the answer to the question is there's a lot of forms, and some that we're in and some that we're not in, where those conversations are happening. Uh, but there are a lot of factors that influence what the answers mm-hmm. that surface in those settings are. I'm going to jump in here for a second. Yeah. <clears throat> um, we actually have a large stack of public speakers on this item, and I just, um, I, I, they've been really patient, thank you. Um, I think I should let them yes. speak now, and before you do, and, and I think this is relevant, um, one thing that our dialogue with, uh, with the supervisors indicated was some of the more immediate cuts <clears throat> that were proposed in our draft budget, they do want to see us implement uh, that aren't service reductions. And so um, if, you, if you look at the board packet, it was the, there was a wage freeze for executives. There, was, um, there, there were furloughs for, for some of the unrepresented as well. Uh, no, uh, we, no, no more furloughs. Proposed change. And there was a benefits. consolidation. Yeah. Of of uh, uh, emergency services. <coughs> outpatient. Of, of outpatient mental. You're health not talking about doing that tonight. In, 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 no, 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 no. I'm not saying we're going to do that tonight. But I want people. Back on the table. I want people to understand that while the the, the, the complete reduction or complete elimination of, of some major services, it, we're, we're taking off the table. Um, the consolidation, I think, is still under consideration. That's right. right. And, and your important, the, the, the last word is important, consideration. Consideration. So we have not, uh, and we, we are working on further communication with our staff so that people understand this, and obviously the patients they serve, um, that those, those things that we are continuing to explore, I mean, the, the, the more administrative ones we're moving forward with, the even service consolidation ones are um, ones that we still have to explore uh, further in terms of implementation or alternate situations to close those gaps. And those are conversations that are right. ongoing, and we will come back to and, you with an update. And the reason I say that is because most of the speakers have signed up That's correct. specifically on one of those proposed consolidations. Absolutely. And so I just want to honor that and, and let people know that it's not happening tonight but it is not off the table entirely correct but, but it's being further evaluated so you're right to be here absolutely and with that said I'll call Got some it. folks so first five uh, Shannon Hendon uh, Dr. Freed uh, Craig Kleinman uh, Martha Bader and Jonathan Ramsden yeah yeah any one of those five. Yeah, I'll go first. I'm Dr. Freed. I'm the pro- program manager for uh, outpatient behavioral health services. Uh, that's uh, the last line item for consolidation. Um, uh, our Highland uh, uh, clinic is the one that's uh, uh, looking at being closed. And so we were shocked, as, as, as most of you were, to hear about our budget deficit. 
and uh, our program actually has been profitable for 25 years and so this is the first time we have ever heard that we we are not profitable um, partial hospitalization programs make lots of money and that that was why our program was uh, incorporated into Alameda County Medical Center uh, in 1999 so Michael uh, and I um, have spent some time looking at our numbers because we couldn't we couldn't believe that that our numbers are uh, looking that bad that we're losing millions of dollars um, so we're not going to argue against the way our finance department is looking at our department now versus eight months ago but we looked at our numbers to see that there is a way that we can balance our budget actually by making some you know, increases in revenue and, and adjustments in our staff so that's that's basically our argument uh, we have submitted this. We have worked with Dr. Tribble, uh, Dr. Weiss, Dr. Siddhartha um, in our department to look at ways to avoid consolidation um, and move forward with two uh, outpatient programs, Highland and Fairmont. And we'd like to submit that to the board for consideration. Okay. Please do. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Shannon Hendon. I am a patient of the um, intensive outpatient clinic at Fairmont Hospital. Um, I'd like to speak to people about the importance of the clinics and the outpatient programs and how important it is to keep the Highland program. Um, I have found these clinics to be a lifeline. Um, I've been with the program um, over almost 20 years um, and for me it's been a lifeline. Um, I came in in uh, pretty dire straits um, and needed some big help and it has brought me to a point where I have been able to uh, control my symptoms and be able to become a representative with NAMI and uh, become the program, uh, uh, a program coordinator. And in doing so, you know, be able to get on with my life. Um, and without these programs, I would not have been able to do that. Um, these programs are a lifeline to people like me. And to take those kinds of programs away um, would be a big problem and the consolidation would cause overcrowding along with a lot of overbooking and extra work uh, to our clinics and our therapists and would take away the extra time needed to uh, give us the help that we need um, along with threaten the client-based treatment that we need. Um, that would allow us to allow them to listen to us and give us the treatment that we need. Um, you know, client-based therapy for me is really important. So, you know, I'm here to ask you guys to really consider that in your uh, deliberations. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, 
I used to be a manager at uh, Kaiser Permanente, and, and, and I, I... What's your name? I'm Mike Craig Kleinman. Okay, thank you. Well, I, I'm so glad that I'm not a manager anymore, and I, you guys are awesome to be here and to, to be dedicated to listen to us, and, and that's, that's really cool, but I don't miss these meetings at all. Um, so so I, I basically, I've been at Thermont for seven, seven years, um, and I want to talk about the consolidation. Um, I have 41 years experience working in behavioral health care. Um, I'm a licensed managed therapist. I've been one for 33 years. Uh, I've been a department manager for Kaiser Permanente Addiction Medicine for 17 years. Um, and in the past few weeks, uh, this has been a, an utterly chaotic hearing fragmented news for, for we're merging, we're not merging, we're closing, we're not closing, we're restructuring, we're not restructuring. And it, it's been absolutely crazy. Um, we have been disconnected from this from this whole process. And, you know, this is not the way to make changes. Um, whether it's to open a program, close a program, merge a program, design a program, um, it's a grave mistake to not to include the bottom people, the frontline staff. And I've heard that from you guys tonight. Um, in 1998, Kaiser's uh, Behavioral Health Care Service was in a crisis. Our employer groups were not happy with addiction medicine and the behavioral health and they decided they wanted to carve them out. Um, and so, of course, like you, we were in a panic. Um, but we formed a committee to redesign the behavioral health care. We worked with the frontline staff, the direct managers. We provided input and direction. We formed teams with disciplines of staff, clerks, therapists, medical assistants, nurses, CNAs, PAs, physicians, everybody, and the union. And we partnered with the union. Um, we included all departments, and we had full trans transparency and disclosure. We designed the Beaver Healthcare in 1999, and it's been functioning. Um, there's, there's still problems, but it's been functioning pretty well ever since. Um, but we worked together. We got a team excellence award in 1999 for the for the behavior change. We got uh, accolades about the, the our labor management partnership. We worked together. We all worked together. And so my my last my thoughts to you guys is: if you're going to make these changes, include us. Include us in this process. If you're going to look at this in, in the next 90 days, include all of us. All of us, because we know what's going on. You're far away from it. We know behavior health. We know what's going on. We are the frontline staff. So please, I beg you to include us. And lastly, you know, we have a big project. Um, my understanding is that we're going to, to population health management. And if we're going to do that, that's a big, big feat. We, you need all of us. You need all of us to, to bring that. All so, right. You got my message? Thank you. Yeah. social worker and a rehab counselor at the Fairmont campus and I'm here to speak against the consolidation as well. Um, I am actually though, I'm, not, I'm probably going to get laid off if it, if it happens but that's not why I'm here. Actually I'll be fine. I have a private practice and I will increase my clients. I also have money. Um, I'm here because in my previous life I was a, uh, worked at the California AFL-CIO on a Department of Labor grant helping unionized employers and their unions negotiate layoffs. And I have a lot of inside information on that process. And when I saw what was happening here and the claim that we were not making money and that we had a structural deficit in our program, I was freaked out. I'm like, that's not clear. That's not true to me. I know our program has made money. Um, and I asked Dr. Freed for some numbers. One 
uh, staff member, full-time equivalency costs $120,000. They bring in, with a regular client load of 24 clients, $700,000. We have been prevented from hiring to fill vacancies that we've had in the last couple of years. We could be up to our previous census and making money right now if we had been allowed to hire one additional person. We've been waiting for that for two years. To me, that's not a structural deficit. That's a hiring policy issue. Um, I also had some concerns even about the whole methodology, which was presented in the draft budget report. Um, you know, we have some money that's owed to us. I really appreciated the comments by President DeVries and earlier uh, the trustee Hernandez, and I think it was trustee Energy about um, working with the staff. In my previous life, I helped the, well, I didn't, but I helped unions who are helping the city of Oakland. About 10 years ago, we were facing huge layoffs because of the recession budget uh, crisis and they had hundreds of layoffs and they sat down with the union, they created a labor management committee, they found inefficiencies, they rolled up their sleeves and they cut it to under 100 layoffs. Um, I just am in favor of good process. We know what needs to be done in our house and we really uh, don't feel like the report shows a very deep look into solutions that could have happened, like expanding our program instead of cutting it. Um, these are vital services. I was a student three years ago, an intern here. I've been trying to get back ever since. This is the way healthcare should be done, mental health care. Our clients get such good care. Transportation, food, medical care, they are stable. I've seen people who are very dysregulated become functional, happy, thriving people in our community. So I just think you should take that into account. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Uh, Jonathan Ramsden. I'm the clinical coordinator, outpatient behavioral health services, Fairmont Hospital Campus, and I'm here today in favor of keeping the Highland program open. In the Mental Health Wellness Act of 2013, the California legislature recognized the following. One, California has realigned public community mental health services to counties, and it's imperative that sufficient community-based resources be available to meet the mental health needs of its eligible citizens. Two, Increasing access to effective outpatient and crisis stabilization services provides an opportunity to reduce costs associated with expensive inpatient and emergency room care and to better treat patients in the least restrictive manner possible. Three, almost one-fifth of people with mental health disorders visit a hospital emergency room at least once a year. If an inadequate array of crisis services is not available, it leaves an individual with little choice but to access an emergency room for assistance and potentially an unnecessary inpatient hospitalization stay. And four, there exists a continuing problem of inappropriate and unnecessary utilization of hospital emergency rooms in California due to limited community-based services for individuals in acute psychiatric distress. Hospitals report that 70% of people taken to emergency rooms for psychiatric evaluation can be stabilized and transferred to a less intensive level of crisis care if that care were to exist. Law enforcement personnel report that the less intensive levels of care tend not to exist. The Community Mental Health Services Act of 1963 called for the construction of <laughs> mental health centers in different geographic catchment areas which provide equal services for the mentally ill. As we understand it, both Highland and Fairmont exist in distinct catchment areas. As such, it could be argued that closing the Highland program could be a violation of the Community Mental Health Services Act. 
closure of Highland's program would lead to the unnecessary psychiatric inpatient hospitalization of patients better suited to treatment in their own communities. Further, closure of the Highland program and the subsequent transfer of those patients to Fairmont would impair Fairmont's ability to adequately serve its existing territory and thus result in the likely hospitalization of still yet more individuals. This creates the danger of unlawful discrimination, i.e. the inappropriate warehousing of patients in violations of the Americans with Disabilities Act as interpreted by the United States Supreme Court Olmstead versus LC. The ADA promotes community inclusion such that patients with disabilities are able to receive services within their own communities. Finally, the funding mandate of Proposition 63, the California Mental Health Services Act, charges counties with providing the necessary treatment programs for patients with severe, severe mental illness. While there may be some Alameda County contracted social services agencies in Oakland and North County, there are no such PHP programs other than the ones at, High, at Highland that serves the poor mentally ill. Case management does not equal treatment. This comes down to an issue of quality and it, uh, an issue of importance that's already been echoed here at this meeting. I thank you for your time. Thank you. Um, I'm going to say something before I call the next speakers. Thank you for your input. You all are saying really good things. If you could, please try to keep it under two minutes. We're going to be here for several hours after you leave. Um, yeah. I see. Yes. Very good point. Yeah, we like to keep you guessing, don't Fair. we? <laughs> uh, Dr. Karen Marcus, Dr. Ronald uh, Self or Seth, Seft, um, Michael McAdoo, Jane Bond, and Timothy Drebby. Dreamy, sorry. Just the next person can get up. Just think while you're waiting for her. Like, just come on up. Just come on down. Yeah. In fact, you can get up and line up even. Can you say who the names are Dr. Karen Marcus, Dr. Ronald Self or Seth, um, Michael McAdoo, Jane Bond, and uh, Timothy Dreeby. I'm Dr. Ron Seff. I'm a psychiatrist and the medical director of the Outpatient Behavioral Health Services for Alameda Health Service uh, Systems. Prior to coming to the intensive outpatient program 10 years ago, I had worked in many different psychiatric programs, always treating severe chronic psychotic disorders. I had always understood that the primary goals of treatment of this population uh, were, were stabilization, minimization of acute symptoms of psychosis, such as hallucinations and delusions, and maintenance of baseline level of uh, function. It wasn't until I had been with the uh, uh, IOP program for a few years that I realized that these are actually very low expectations and that these programs uh, were producing outstanding outcomes that I had actually never thought possible. So I'm going to give you a very brief tutorial on the nature of schizophrenia and the related conditions. Those acute symptoms I mentioned, hallucinations and delusions, are the tip of the iceberg. The true devastation of these conditions lies in 
the disintegration of one's sense of self, the separation from one's family and friends, the separation from one's home, the separation from one's community. These are what cast the person with schizophrenia into a state of desperation and perpetual aloneness. Alameda Health System's IOP PHP programs are the only ones I've seen in my almost 40 years of practice that offer potentially permanent reversal of this state of mind. People in our programs learn through extended immersion in our therapeutic milieu to reintegrate with their sense of self, reconnect with family, establish new social networks, live in stable housing, and reintegrate into their community. They, in essence, learn to walk safely in the world. I commonly witness our people breaking the cycle of repeated hospitalizations, coping with ordinary daily stresses which had previously been insurmountable for them, developing friendships and relationships. Some go back to school, some get back into the workforce, some get off of their social security disability. So I now understand that there's question about merging the two separate campuses or even shrinking the services or eliminating them. This makes no clinical sense. Uh, taking the, uh, the Highland folks out of the urban center of Oakland uh, to get treatment in San Leandro when the primary goal is to reintegrate them into their community. Um, it makes no practical or financial sense given that there are so many other constructive ways to address these problems. And finally, it defies common sense to try to change or eliminate programs that pro provide such priceless services. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, my name is Michael McAdoo. <clears throat> I'm manager of outpatient psych services and outpatient behavioral services in, uh, here at the Highland Campus. And uh, I believe we uh, presented about two years ago some art therapy shows. Mm -hmm. Thank you, yep, Becky, for that. Um, let me give you some statistics. Uh, our program has over 170 patients uh, combined in our IOP program and our outpatient behavioral services program. 79% uh, of those patients are African-American, 15% of those patients are Caucasian, 4% uh, of those patients are Latino, and 2% are Asian. Uh, we have been serving in North Alameda County catchment area for over 20 years. Uh, our program plays an essential role in providing mental health care for some of the most vulnerable populations in our community. Uh, Alameda County. Uh, we have over 1.5 million residents here, uh, of which 3.6% uh, are severely mentally ill. That's about 54,000. Uh, 13% are, are mild to moderate. That's the population our programs treat. Um, that's about 200,000. And those folks in needing are in treatment for behavioral health services. The city of Oakland has over 400,000 residents in which 647 per 100,000 um, has severe mental illness-related ED visits. 52,000 adults have stated that mental health was not good 14 days or more in the past month. We treat patients who have nowhere else to go. <clears throat> Closing PHP, IOP at Highlands effectively putting up 
a barrier to care our most vulnerable, for our most vulnerable population. Uh, patients from our community will not travel down to Fairmont and will be quickly compromised by longer commutes. In this era of looking to expand mental health services in this underserved population, it appears that AHS is turning their backs on them, shutting their doors. This program is unique to Oakland and North County because it helps patients heal from the suffering of trauma, depression, anxiety, hallucinations, suicidal ideations. We have groups that can help that. Um, we've been doing it for a little while to help these patients reintegrate back in with their families, churches, boarding cares, and communities. Uh, keeping patients within their own community allows them empowerment with their communities to heal and thrive with support for their families, churches, programs, and boarding cares. Um, uh, we do not want to see a gentrification of services in North Alameda County or Oakland move to South County and San Leandro. Uh, we just don't want to see that. Um, our esteemed county to the west. I mean, they had stated they have. Can you wrap it up? I'm yeah, sorry. I was going to say for three minutes at this point. Yeah, I, I prepared to three minutes speech. <laughs> and I knew I was going to go. I mean, and everything you're saying totally makes sense. I mean, I, I don't disagree with a word of it. I really don't. I think all of us do. And so I, I'm trying to be respectful. I hate cutting people off. That's okay. I'll, but, I'll go ahead and hit yeah. So I just think that, you know, with, um, if we partner, with our execs and the county and all involved, I think we had have a solution. Oh, we have a solution uh, to any issue in our department. We know what goes on. We know what we're doing. We got over 170 patients in there, and we can grow it. Okay. Uh, we just need to hire a few people here, open a center there. I think I think we can do it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, my name is Jane Bond, and I'm the clinical manager at Highland Outpatient mm -hmm. Psych Services. I've been a part of Alameda Health System for about 11 years or so, and it has its challenges, but it also has been a very rewarding experience. You know, and I'm going to take a different angle as opposed to throwing out a lot of statistics. In the morning when a patient will come in, sometimes you'll see a face that's careworn a face that is sort of hung down, they're depressed, they may have lost a significant other that night before, but by the end of the day, after coming through treatment, you see their step is a little bit lighter, right? their head is just held a little bit taller, and then there's a glimmer of hope in their eyes, and then they're able to crack a smile. That is priceless. You cannot quantify that. And those are, that happens daily. Those are the experiences that we see that keeps me um, motivated and engaged in, in the work that we do. You must all, the board is presented with um, the decision whether to close Highland Outpatient Day Treatment or consolidate our program with Fairmont Outpatient, our sister program, which is located in San Leandro at a time when our most vulnerable communities in Oakland are facing critical issues that impact their health, which leads to poorer health outcomes, which I'm sure you all are aware of. Okay. There were, t uh, just reading a bunch of research re recently, 
across the nation, there were three top critical issues that communities across the nation uh, experienced. These are communities, disinvested communities. The number one critical issue was access to mental health treatment. The second was high stigma, levels of stigma. The third was members interfacing with culturally insensitive healthcare systems. If we take away mental health services from Oakland, we take away their access to mental health services. We take away their choice. When people have choices, they feel more empowered. You take away options and choices, we become another oppressive force. We become a barrier. If people have to go to San Leandro, uh, we increase the potential for stigma. People leaving their home base, they're leaving their roots, they're leaving the family, they're leaving the very uh, anchors that helps manage their symptoms, but also keeps them connected with who they are. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Now, that, that was great. Am I, oh, okay, can I just say one more thing and I'll just skip over what I had. Because the, 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 there's also another proposal out there to, I guess, make our program into a psych emergency services and, and I guess, put it at Highland. And, you know, I don't necessarily disagree with that because I think when you look at our, our population, they do come with a lot of medical issues, and that would be the ideal place. But what I'm saying, please don't get me wrong, we still need outpatient behavioral health services, an intermediary intervention that will potentially, which I truly believe and have faith, that will reduce the inpatient, the amount of inpatient stays. So if we invest money into outpatient, maybe not uh, right away, we should see a rebalancing where we're, putting, where we're seeing less inpatient stays and more people getting, their, uh, getting well on an outpatient basis. So uh, Thank you. let Alameda Health System send a message to Oakland that mental health matters, and thank you. Hello, my name is Tim. Um, I've been working at Highland Hospital Outpatient Psychiatric for the past 15 years. It's been my uh, pleasure and honor to do so. Um, I noticed a lot, I, I really liked a lot of what uh, my colleagues have said about people's potential to recover and come back from very devastating circumstances. I think that um, there's two real important things that we offer people. One is self-determination. Um, that's the, the ability to decide for yourself what you need to recover. And the other is, um, oh, don't tell me I'm forgetting. Um, the other is, um, there's lots of stuff. <laughs> There's really a lot of stuff, but I, okay, what I think it is, is love, because people don't get love, um, and that is really key to healing mental health problems. In our community, um, loves each other, um, we call it our family, and um, when I found out that we were gonna, it was going to be taken away, it was very devastating to me, I didn't know how to respond. Um, I did bring a couple of um, 
uh, letters that were written by our clients and I just wanted to read um, one of them at least real quick. Um, this is uh, to whom it may concern my name is, and she, she signed a release so I can say her name. Uh, my name is Omi Townsend and I need this program. It has brought me a mighty long ways. This program and the peoples who run the groups and talk with me and care for me, my well-being. It has given me hope to want to live and strive for my goals. I'm now six months clean and hopeful. I change my life around. I need to be able to have somewhere to go to be able to keep learning of myself and stay clean. Thank you. I'm, oh, sorry. I was almost finished, and I'll, I'll, this will be the only one. I'm close to everyone here, my counselor and my other staffs. I love my peoples. Please keep this place open. It changes lives like mine. Without this place, it probably would be, I probably wouldn't be clean now. But it comes, um, um, it gave me hope to keep coming back, and now I can breathe. Thank you for understanding how useful this place for is for me, so please have a change of heart. I have a life now. Thank you. So, I do have, okay, so I have Dr. Karen Marcus, I don't think she spoke. Um, oh, okay. Um, I've got Liberty Velez, um, Dale uh, Bunce, Deborah Stinson, Angela Vil Vilko, Mary, okay, Mary Dodge, um, well, I'll, I'll just read them all, Amy Tomzak, Diana Lawton, and LaShawn Gray. I just want to say, we have our staff wrote a letter, and I'm just going to hand it out to you guys that kind of like consolidates our points, so. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Huh? Oh. Uh, What's your name? Oh, I thought I read your name. Well, you. go ahead and speak. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <coughs> I thought I, I, I saw that name. <laughs> yeah, and really, if you can, keep it to two minutes. That'd be great. I'll worry. I'm going to keep it short. Cool. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll start here. My name is Liberty Velas. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist over at the Highland Program, and I have a couple letters here. I'll only read one. I just want to say tonight I'm really impressed by my colleagues. We are, I would say, experts in our field, and we need to be part of this conversation. We know what's happening at, at Ground Zero, and all of these things are being filtered through our minds and through our bodies, all of the trauma and the isolation and just everything that's happening in, in the world right now, we're, we're seeing it happen. We provide access to people who would never probably meet with a therapist or go to, go to a program. And also in our program, we have, I would say, one of the most, most diverse teams I've ever worked with. We have every color, uh, sexual orientation, and that's open. That is Oakland. I mean, we look, look at this. Uh, and so when we talk about barriers to care and having a client walk in somewhere and seeing that they can relate 
that they look like the person that, um, you know, from where their communities are, are coming from, that's huge. Um, so I just wanted to say that, and we definitely, you know, I think that things could improve, but the conversation around taking things away is, is just, it's going to make the situation worse, and we know that. If anything, these patients are coming right back here. Highland will end up paying for it anyways. That's the bottom line. So really quickly, hello. I benefited from this program more and more as the day goes by. From what I understand, we may lose our building and it may be turned into a locked facility. We might be moved to Fairmont Hospital. I think this program is so important to its patients. Our program gives us structures, teaching us coping skills to help keep us out of locked facilities. We don't need more mental hospitals. We need to learn how to stay out of them. This program has given me structure in my daily life. I was hospitalized and I would have been released and then a week I'd go back. With this program, I've been out almost a year. With this program, I've learned coping and I've learned support from other patients. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Dale Bunce and I am a patient or consumer of the calls. <laughs> but I, 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 go, I go back to 75 and I uh, I went blank. I uh, Western culture has looked on mental illness and in a different way than other cultures. Uh, so I want to bring up some things to consider. Um, I'm a very churchified. And if you look at the times, these are, my church considers these the last days. I believe in the added strength through adversity. Depression is an impetus to uh, getting a hold of God so we can pay back. In many of the uh, mental health facilities I've been in, I've experienced um, where a lot of the help comes from the patients with the patients. And I'm sure that these professionals benefited from dealing with us. So, and because, because of Highland, I've been spearheaded into other programs around the city. And I think y'all allow us to pay, pay y'all back. Thank, thank you. Good evening. I'm speaking for Deborah. Um, my name is Zena Belcher, and this is Debbie, and um, we have been an intern at Holland OPS since January. 
2019. We are both June 2019 graduates of Best Now, which is a training program for peer support specialists in Oakland. Highland OPS has been a beacon of light for many of these very valuable, vulnerable clients who attend this program, whether they attend one day a week or four days a week. If not for the Highland OPS program, many of the participants would be spending their days in their boarding care, isolated, stressed out, and lonely. It is, it is a uniquely, uniquely structured environment for the people to come during the day where they can attend groups, check in with the nurse and psychiatrist, and meet one-on-one -on -one with the therapist and, of course, gain support from their peers. The team members at Holland OPS help the clients to become self-sufficient, help to build self-confidence, help to build self-esteem, and help clients re reintegrate into their communities. As peers who have gone through our own mental and emotional struggles, I cannot emphasize to you how important a community program like Highland OPS is a recovery and a day-to-day -day stability. For many of us who have struggled to get back on our feet, find and keep housing and find meaning in our lives. The support that is gained through the program has tremendously value. It keeps the participants engaging with fellow peers, engaging with their community and out of the emergency room and out of place such as John George. Although Deborah and I have only been interning here for six months, we have already become part of the Highland OP, OPS family. The clients even wrote a petition to try to keep us permanent positions as peer support specialists at Highland. And while there is not a budget for this both Deborah and I have decided to volunteer one or two days per week in the OPS department. That is, that is how much we, that's how, I'm sorry, that is how much this program and the people who come to this program mean to us. My name is Mary Dodge, and I am a client of the Highland Intensive Outpatient Program. In this program, I am seen by a therapist, psychiatrist, and I attend groups with peers. I have mental health challenges, one of which is a kind of PTSD which is caused from being raised in an abusive environment, which means that during your formative years, you have ongoing trauma. For me, this program feels like a home. People here, staff and clients, understand and help me deal with my issues. My community is the area where I live. I live in Oakland. If the program is moved to San Leandro, 
it will be a trauma for me. I would lose the place where I feel heard and understood. It is difficult for me to adjust to new environments because of my mental health challenges. And the long ride to San Leandro would be too much stress for me. I am living in a city with the kind of issues people have in this environment and in this program. So these people understand my challenges. I have no reason to believe people in San Leandro, which is a much different environment, will understand the challenges that I deal with on a daily basis. It is important that this program not close, not just for me, but also for my family, the people who live in the apartment building where I live, and all the people with whom I come in contact. This program makes it possible for me to be functional in my community. Thank you. Good evening, my name is Amy Tomzak. <clears throat> I'm a Bellevue Group Therapist at Fairmont Hospital Outpatient Behavioral Health Program. I just want to speak for one minute about the milieu therapeutic approach, which is a really specific model of care that emphasizes consistent structure, psychosocial stimulation, and behavioral model modeling. In the milieu, patients learn and practice everything from maintaining a regular schedule to accomplishing specific tasks, adaptive coping and symptom management skills, and interpersonal relationship skills with a focus on lasting behavioral change. And research has shown that milieu therapy is recognized as one of the most effective interventions for people with severe mental illness. So milieu treatment is really a vital safety net and Highland and Fairmont are the only two programs in the county that offer this for Medi-Cal Medicare patients. In addition, both of our programs accept Kaiser patients because Kaiser does not offer this type of program. So I'm in support of keeping both programs open and thank you for providing a vital safety net for our patients. Thank you. Hello, um, I'm Lucy Colvin. I've worked 19 and a half years with Fairmont. I've seen some of you before. And um, some of you have been to our program. And the thing is, is that we're pretty small. And when you hear about how many clients that we have in each of our locations, we're not able at Fairmont to give therapeutically, clinically good astute treatment when in, uh, with these people thrown together um, in such a small space. In our experience, when we have over, over 65 clients attending a day, people start getting anxious and paranoid, um, have conflicts with each other, won't attend groups, and attending groups is where we get paid, right? <laughs> it's not if they show up, they have to come to the group. And so we run around looking for them, but really, they won't come if they don't feel comfortable, right? So this is a really essential piece. Um, I coordinate a training opportunity program for peer success that I talked to the board about a couple of years ago. And it's a peer empowerment model. 
And it's really helped people um, remember, this isn't like combining two university classes. These are clients with special needs and um, chronic mental, severe mental illness. In our TOPS program, people have gained confidence and stability that they never thought was even possible because we provided the structure and holding environment for them to do that. And some of them have gotten jobs, such as Shannon, who spoke earlier. She went through the TOPS program. And what I am really concerned that we're going to erode the holding care of our environment. They equally have a beautiful holding care in their environment. And I really think we would love to work with you to keep both of these programs robust and viable. They'll actually serve an amazing, essential service to our community. They, it's amazing how well our teams work together um, and the way the patients feel incredibly cared for. And we don't want to lose that. We don't want to become a revolving door of clients that come and go because they don't feel held or cared for. We would be fiscally losing money if we do that. So really thank you. Please keep both of our programs open and work with us. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. My name is Tamaya Green, and I, was, I am a patient at Highland. In 2002, I was 19, and they opened me with open arms, and then some unfortunate events in 2018, I came back. But you know what? They didn't judge me. They welcomed me with open arms, and the programs have been um, awesome. If I didn't have Highland here, I don't know where I would be. I'm a mother, and they're getting me back to being uh, a model citizen in my environment, and I go to the programs, and I attend there, and they have transportation, they have food for you. You don't have to worry. You just come on in, and they welcome you with open arms. And we're our own community. So if we were to get merged, I don't know how that would work out. But I do appreciate your, you know, your, you know, trying to work that out. But if you could find your hearts to reevaluate, because you're not only affecting their lives, you're affecting my lives, and this is part of my community and my family. So I would appreciate you to reconsider it. Thank you. And, and you and Nicole, you're being the shortest speaker. Right? <laughs> she can use my time. Pizza. You have a whole other minute. A long thing prepared, which I'm not going to read. I'm just going to say consolidation may sound like a good idea on paper, but those of us who work in these programs know it would be very, very devastating to both programs. And we have something that is beautiful and works really well and is very, very beneficial for our patients. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I think that's it. I just want to say thank you all for sticking around almost as long as we will. And um, I think you know, we, we really hear your message and we're making really difficult choices here. And I think hearing from both the staff and the, the, the consumer uh, about the program and understanding it a little bit better helps us understand the gravity of the decisions that we're making. So I really want to honor you for that. Appreciate it. <laughs> we, we heard you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, we're back to the board. We're. Uh, I don't know um, if people have 
other questions and conversation they want to have right now, I want to, you know, honor you guys' ability to answer, ask questions as well. We do have um, a resolution in the packet that we have to adopt. Um, uh, G2. Um, Let's see. We're at G2 now. I'm, well, I'm, I'm being, I'm being as uh, open with all of you as I have been with the public speakers. Are there questions? Are there more comments? Um, um, I wanted to go back to what you opened with when you opened and talked about the collaboration between um, the Board of Supervisors and, mm -hmm. and this board. And I also um, have met with Supervisor Chan recently, and I um, appreciate that. And I've read the letters from Supervisor Valle and Supervisor Chan. I, I'm very appreciative of their flexibility. And, um, but I, I wanted to go back to your comment in the, in the most recent letter that you shared tonight and ask um, if we would, if this board would um, respond to Supervisor Valle's suggestion, in fact, more than a suggestion, Supervisor Valle and Chan feel strongly that this board should should engage outside health consultants. And I understand that you, and, and I appreciate that the Board of Supervisors would share any information that they would get from their independent consultants, but um, this is something that Supervisor Chan mentioned to me. It's in Supervisor Valle's letter. As I understand it, you said that when the four board members met with Supervisors Valle and Chan, that they brought that up at, the, at that time. Mm -hmm. So I would just like to um, suggest that this board discuss that. Okay. I think it's a good idea. So it yeah. came up at uh, the meeting we had with the supervisors, and I forget who responded, Joe or I, suggested we'd like to have um, the same advisors. And I, I'll just say that again, that that seems the most collaborative um, approach, um, to, to have different differing advice, advice on our financials um, doesn't feel, um, yeah, it, it's not as collaborative as it could be. So I understand from the letter that it's not uh, what the supervisors want. So the plan B would be to um, bring someone in independently um, who could um, sort of weave through this in a way that uh, gets us to collaboration. Look at our options, financial options that involve our partners at the county and elsewhere. That's my and two cents on that. It sounds like that, that that's what the Board of Supervisors is asking for us to do and they're also proposing um, strongly that that we meet, this would help us to meet our uh, our authority and our um, our responsibilities. I guess I would just like to think or talk more about what it is we're asking of these said consultants to do. I think that they've already went forward and retained consultants. To my knowledge, Toyan. we still toy on right, and to my knowledge, we have still a relationship with Nancy Katz. In a consult Nancy no longer with Toyan, but we still have a relationship with Toyan. As right, well. but well, so we have. I mean, like HS has consultants. I understand what they're saying is that they want us to have consultants that report directly to us as a board of trustees. So I just want to understand what gap it is, it is that we're trying to fill. If everyone's got consultants, like what, what is what's the gap we're trying to fill? 
and it says healthcare consultant, so I don't know if they mean like healthcare finance or what it is exactly. I think that this board has asked okay, several so. questions of staff that staff have said they'll get back um, with after we're sort of out of the woods a little bit that we're specific to sort of sort of our um, revenue and our so yeah all of our um, the negative sort of revenue on so it's a contract it's contractuals but it's also denials and just all the reasons why we're not getting the revenue that we think we should be getting and so because I think that our um, court plan of action is going to be dependent a little bit on what we find with some of that deeper dive, right? If we find out that we're getting denials because people who are Medi-Cal eligible never got on Medi-Cal, that's one intervention. If we find out it's all contractual adjustments, then that's a different intervention. If we find out that it's people who had a different PCP assigned or out of network, I mean, those are all different interventions. So I guess I'm saying that to say I feel like there's a lot of expertise um, with staff and a lot of probing questions that this board has already asked, and I would like to use consultants personally to go deeper when we once we feel like we've maxed that part out. Um, so that's just that's just my two cents. But again, I guess I don't know the full picture of what it is that the board is saying we should be retaining our own consultants to do, especially given that they have said they're willing to share with us what Toyon shares with them. Because I would like to, I think it would make more sense for us to see that first um, and get through some of this inquiry that we have, and then engage consultants in a more strategic and specific way. Yeah, well, I understand that that. It's in my reading of the letters and my discussion with the Board of Supervisors, they don't trust the financial projections. They basically are questioning the accuracy of the information that we've received, and they're questioning our fiduciary responsibility. They're asking us to be responsible fiduciary agents on their behalf, and they've appointed us. And so it's my understanding that um, they have, have had the opportunity, and they've agreed, as I understand it, to share the trying information, and they still strongly feel strongly that we as their agents should engage our own financial consultant and i am in a different position than most of you i was i was um i was appointed by the board of supervisors on the advice of my board of alameda Healthcare district and so um you know certainly you all were appointed by the board of supervisors and you may feel differently that that strong that for whatever reason that that's not um, necessary I'm just bringing it up and I feel no. it is necessary and, yeah. and I, I feel I actually I actually agree with you I, I think that so loud from both supervisor Vi and from uh, auditor Wilk um, they strongly advise I mean again I would love the toy and information just because it feels like they're further ahead <laughs> like like there's if there's information they already have that could help get our consultant in the right direction, and we can we, we can make that ask of them, but I think it's pretty clear we, we need to retain someone as soon as possible. Um, I mean, Supervisor Vi has even given us a a, a link a, a link to a and with the auditor's uh, letter as well. They didn't the auditor didn't just send a letter with that suggestion out of the blue no. today. You know, no, so that's correct. I, it sounds like. It's yeah, I don't. Who received that letter? Huh? I just got the auditor's letter tonight. Okay. And the other, I mean, I, I just got them all tonight. But the, but the, the I know you all Your got staff that. can send out the auditor. Yeah, we got you. Uh -huh. get, you shared the one from Vi. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah, Vanessa only had one copy, so I'm, okay. I'm not holding anything back. I, I don't need to see it now, but maybe it can be sent out by staff. What what, what is it recommending? 
Um, but it's just pointing out that while the county is, has contracted with Toyon, the, um, that um, the auditor has also contracted with, um, where is it? Uh, it's a different component. Just my eye. I'm just, oh, Massius, Ginny, and O'Connell. LLP, uh, an independent CPA firm to provide a separate review of our overall fiscal condition, including but not limited to financial statements, forecasts, reporting, and all supporting records and documentation. So, um, wow. Yeah, wow. Wow, what? Why is that a wow? Wow, you just have, you just having all these different groups provide yeah. consultation in the same area. I don't know how much money well, I think it illustrates the degree of concern. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, and I, I share that concern as a board member, but. Well, I think what we ought to do is figure out what we need to do. <laughs> and I think it makes sense to have a phased approach. Um, uh, we have a, uh, a plan, I think, for a deeper dive on the revenue side. Uh, staff is already working on that. That could be phase two. What we need right now pretty quickly to, to uh, honor this and to, I think, um, be be in good faith with the conversation with the Board of Supervisors is to retain a, a firm to come in to do a high-level analysis of our current finances and come up with, uh, as much as they can in a short period of time, options that exist uh, for closing the yeah. budget gap in 2020. Absolutely. That's what I would propose. Yeah. And, and thank you. And I, 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 I think that's great. And I would like to, if we could see something or have something contributed to our discussion when we have our retreat, that would be ideal. And I, I don't know if, if Whip Flake can be, do it that quickly, but um, they're in town, so. <laughs> well, stop, stop your way in. This one. Whip oh, Flake. Whip Flake. Oh, Whip Flake. Right, right. I think, uh, uh, I think stop no, your way in on a timeline. Yeah. Oh. yeah, no, I guess the only other thing I would say is that for me, when you say a financial analysis, I mean, to me, it's bigger than that in some ways. It's yeah. like, I would I would strongly prefer that what whoever we retain has very strong knowledge and understanding of the li landscape we're in, yeah. oh. the everything that's going on in the state, the role and responsibility of the county. Right. Well, it's specific to our county and the setup we have going on, and so that so that could be like a broader, like contextualize a little better. So it's not just digging into the books, but really like. You know, are, are, were our assumptions correct as it relates to what we think is happening at the state and the feds? And what what would some of our options be based on the fact that we're a separate hospital authority within the context of, uh, of the county? One of the public speakers spoke to all the Mental Health Services Act laws, rules and regulations and everything, but keeping in mind that we're not the ones actually held to those rules and regulations, right? It's our partners at the county. So someone who understands that whole right. context that would be right. really and useful to, to I, me. I think, so, in, I think in the behavioral health area, and I actually gave a recommendation on someone, that there are some people who specialize in that and that they, they'd probably be much more effective than somebody that does, does an overall you know, financial review. So if I could, just because um, I'm overlooking Trustee Bouquet's computer, he's got Whipflee pulled up. Yeah. And on their homepage, they do hospitals and health systems, integrated solutions, um, results for hospitals and health systems, including Critical access. Hospital. No, no, wait, we go back no, to the. I look at what I want. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they list 340B yeah. audit, behavioral health uh, integration. So, I mean, uh -huh. I'm saying, I think you should interview them if, if 
supervise you by well, no, this is us. Yeah. Huh? This, this is, is us. us interviewing them. Yeah. No, I say you oh we. Oh yeah. because it's not not staff, but you. Okay, fine. because it's recording. Right. Okay. I think we should interview them and I think that Dr. Bouquet also has a, a, a candidate that he thinks that we should we should at least speak to. to. At least speak to. And put out Tristan an Peterson, I just we do not have time for. An, I mean, I, I, this has got to be quick and dirty to start. Like we're, we're sixty days. So, so you know what? That that's what causes the problem. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I know. Mm -hmm. I know. No, 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 no. Yeah. I'm saying we we get Toyon for this immediate thing. Then we get this group for this immediate thing. Then we don't have someone that we are really able to rely upon for the true measure of what's going on. Except our staff. Well, who I actually have a lot of faith I, and confidence I, in. I agree with that, but but like <clears throat> in some of the other boards that are out there, the board does have its own counsel. The board has advisors about you know risk management. So if we're going to do this, and this is the entity that's going to see us through this crisis, because we're going to rely upon them for that independent <clears throat> voice. It should be somebody that we're willing to work with for a while. And, and exactly that, that they help us not just with the assessment yeah. and analysis, but with the ne that next stage. That structural Then what piece. do we do yeah. with the structural underpinning Okay, okay so, so I, like uh, I, would just, I would just suggest, before you go there, that we be real realistic about timeline on this. Yeah. I just want to remind people, we are up against a wall right now, and uh, we want a good product, too. So... Um, I don't know what to, to do about that. Do we uh, feel like we need this? I mean, are we being strongly advised to, to have this before the 90-day? I mean, what is yes. this? Yeah, I think that's the challenge. That's what's in my head is the challenge here is now we're going to have three firms mm -hmm. doing work, representing different entities involved in the necessary partnership, and um, and this can right. put and, and a burden on a staff that's already working. I mean, because you, you can't, you gotta have right. a there there to work with when you're a consultant. So precisely, right? So I just, I just want to. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. We gotta be pretty realistic well, I think it's about, about what we're doing. It's about us, though. It's not about staff right now. We're trying to. We're the ones who are responsible to the board of supervisors. And they're holding. Yeah, no, no, but, but I think Dr. Letter's point is. Our staff have to be the ones to turn over the, the information. It's like when we get a public records request at the city. you got to turn it over whether it cripples your day because now you're going through 5,000 emails or not. It's a public records request. So if, if Toyin is demanding from end staff to hand over all sorts of documents, and then Massius and O'Connell say, now we want all those documents. trustees are going to hire And then someone. we hire someone. It's just it will take... Time it will it will t and I'm saying it's 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 yes it's worth it but it I acknowledge it's going to hurt the, it's going to give the staff a lot to do well and when you say it's about us I think I agree with you we have to satisfy ourselves so are we saying we're not satisfied I mean I feel first of all I'm very grateful for a rolling forecast I'm very grateful that we have a line of sight on this issue I'm grateful that we're having this conversation right before it's like hitting us completely in the head. Um, is there anything I don't believe? Not really, but I mean, you know, but but when Toyon comes back, we'll all be very interested in seeing what they have to say, what they surface, whatever. I think that's great that they're being retained and that the county's willing to share that with us. 
So I'm just wondering if it's like overkill at a time when we have limited resources to be responding to this, and what is it really that we need to satisfy ourselves about exactly? The, yeah. the only, you know, just the only argument the other way is that <clears throat> when you get when you have different consultants look at the same thing, they look tend to look at it from the perspective of who hires them. Okay. Well, no, I want this to happen. I'm just questioning the timeline. The time yeah, frame that's, that's being yeah, imposed on us seems like a burden that we can't yeah. afford right yeah. now. Yeah. In well, my I don't know if it's doable. You know, and maybe yeah. and maybe well, you can't execute it. Right. Right. you, you got to find the consultants yeah. available, too. Right. Okay. Okay. I mean, I think the compromise is, again, back to what I was starting to put together as a motion, is a very high level. We hire someone quickly to come in and give us a very high level. And I'll tell you what my, I've been in this soup for a while, and I agree uh, with your analysis that we've got uh, numbers that we can trust. The real story is underneath. It's uh, what the doctors who've talked to me about revenue on the ground. It's yeah. what people share about what's happening within systems. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, staff grappling with this incredible Winchester mystery house of a system that we have here, trying to figure <laughs> out how to get to efficiencies. That's where the options are going to be. But in my mind, those are long-term and not so much about short-term. It would be lovely to have a magical, well, you're just spending it all in the wrong place. It should be moved over here. I don't think that's going to... I don't think... Or, or there's money you didn't count. Or there's no silver bullet. <laughs> So, so very high level. Hire some we trustees. Put a panel together. We hire uh, yeah, so someone. Was, so if, if I if I had two trustees that wanted to be on a quick ad hoc panel to interview a couple of candidates, I think what we could propose they interview them for is that high level look and see how fast they can return a product. Um, it's yeah, who knows what they could return in three weeks. Uh, it, a month. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it'll happen that fast. But um, and then I think we should discuss a phase two with the candidates that are interviewed. So I would. I would want so the trustee to say <laughs> we, we want this part A and and you know depending on the work product we don't want a part B that could go on some months and help us implement through your recommendations and and, and do that deeper dive in partnership with our staff. Right? So I think. We kind of interview for both, but hire for the first part only. Um, be, because I, I'm serious. We, I mean, we're going to meet, oh, I sh I, full transparency, and I apologize, I should have said it earlier. The board members that met with the trustees, uh, pardon me, uh, the, 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 the soups, the, the supervisors asked that we keep meeting uh, every couple weeks. Yeah, we have a meeting next Monday. We have a meeting yeah, next Monday. And so, it, we're going to be, meet, yeah, they, they've asked for that, and um, okay, can you we, we can have a conversation about who that is, because I don't want, yeah, I, I, I Maybe rotate. it's a weird, I don't want a two-tiered board. We should not have a two-tiered board, and exactly, yeah. here's one inclusion rule, if all the people meeting in a room are all men, you need to have a female, Absolutely. you need to have people of color. You need to have a diverse team. Fair enough. And, and I just need you to just think that way. Yeah. But I, I, yeah. I understand that it was an emergency. I'm not... I'm not Perfectly. It was, it was not all... Dr. No Hall was there. Checked. Yeah. <laughs> 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 to be clear, 
That we were really uncomfortable with okay. the invitation as well, and there was yeah. conversation back and forth about Brown Act and yeah, what do we do with people who aren't there and so forth. But yeah. and also in the spirit of collaboration, wanted to respond. Yeah, it's, it's so just to say that a lot. Yeah, and I think the supervisors okay. understand. I mean, that there weren't three supervisors in the room. I mean, think it was like, hey, that's you know, so okay, so. Um, yeah, maybe we should rotate. But then it feels like this ongoing serial Brown Act <laughs> violation. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? You know, I mean, just the fact that they met with you, you met with Supervisor Chan about the same topic. I mean, well, okay, anyway. So, um, do I have two, two trustees who want to interview a few firms? Um, yeah, I do. Okay. I'll do it. I, I would want to participate, but I'm out of town for two weeks starting Monday. Okay. Mm -hmm. Trustee Shequin and Jensen. And I can get in touch with um, with Whitley and talk to you. I, I've worked with him before. Okay. Oh, you have? Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, great. And I think Dr. Bouquet has a, a name he wants you to talk to as well. Sure. Right? Yep. Great. Is, is staff familiar with? Oh, and yes. Are you familiar with who? So we currently use Berkeley for some consulting services. I see. Already. Um, but I'd like to just toss into the pool, maybe we'd like to think about our current auditors. Um, we refer Boss. to the, the company with the long name. Yeah. Uh, their short name is MGO. Uh -huh. And they were our former auditors. And then Moss Adams came in after them. Okay. And so I don't know whether Moss Adams, you know, has a consulting service. I'm sure they do. Yeah, they do. Um, okay. But that they would have boots on the ground already. They're in the okay. middle of our FY19 audit. Oh, fantastic. Already. So can can they can you get the trustees that contact information so they can? Yeah. We can send you the partners. Name I mean, in fact, they're if they already boots on the ground and, and the data at their fingertips. That sounds great to me. And then were you working with someone on the revenue? Mm -hmm. well, another? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about timing. This is your thing. But wait, is that someone who might be able to provide this service as well? I mean, that might be a third entity we could interview. Oh, it, well, I haven't, my meeting is coming up. When I right, so our auditor, I'm not sure. Yeah. So if, if, we, if our auditor, that, that is a little concerning. I mean, I, I would have hoped that an audit would have discovered this problem in the past. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not that type of an audit. The, our, our organizational audit is not a. It's not an audit on our on our efficiencies, particularly. Okay. Can I ask when you said you discovered this type of problem? What do you mean? Wait, you need a mouthful. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I just I want to clarify this. Yeah. Well, I want to. I want to clear. I want to. I want to. The revenue issue. I want to be really careful. I want to be careful how we how we phrase it. I, I don't want this to be a blame game of oh you did something wrong. You. you I, I don't want to believe that. I, I really think we we were we were told of this revenue shortfall a year ago. We've been working to fix it. We knew there were supplemental cliffs that we were falling off that we hoped the state and feds would have figured out by now. They haven't. Um, so I, I, again, just like there's no magic bullet to solving it, there's not some magic you know mistake that was made. Yeah, I this think. is not so, a Senate hearing. 
right. No, I just want to be. So I just want to be. I want to make but sure. I'm starting to hear a tone of that, and yeah. you know, quite yes. frankly, it's not. It's not helpful. Yeah, I just want to be very careful about well, how we phrase you it. We shared that with the supervisors as well. We have. We have. We have. Yeah. Well, then, after that, sharing that, they sent a letter suggesting that we should get a consultant to report directly to the board of trustees. Right, and we're doing that right now. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Right. I mean, I, I'm sure that they agreed that there was no problem. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust the, the two trustees to make contact with the the recommendation from Anne and from Taft and from. Supervisor Valle. Um, I think actually, can Kenny, did you want to, since you're the audit chair? Oh, right. Not anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. well, there we go. Long time ago. There you so go. I just, you know, whether having the, our auditor, would that be a good idea? Uh, not not well. I don't know. You mean uh, on a consulting basis, maybe? But they'd be looking. They'd be looking at it in a different light, it's right? Probably and it would be a different department. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah. My question is, is there any difference contractually with this consulting firm reporting directly to the Board of Trustees versus like if, if you all were to retain them? Is there anything we need to do differently to have them kind of like report directly to us? I think we'll, we'll, we'll just execute a contract with that, that um, as a part. One, you have to come up with a scope, which since it's reporting to you and yeah. you're, you're still trying to figure out what that is, you, you need to figure that out. Okay. We can do that. And then you determine who you want to work with or, or interview a couple of candidates. And once you make that determination and you negotiate a contract or negotiate some terms, you want to do all that because for you, respect that. We'll, we'll just execute it. And then you, you then you know, proceed with the work. I, I, well, I think you're right, or those of you who are concerned about this, that you, one, finding somebody available, going through the motions of interviewing people, getting a contract in place, which is going to take us a while to do, but maybe not terribly long, but it could be a couple of days, up to a week, even in an expedited fashion. And then, then mobilizing to then request the data, to then do the work, you're already into a month plus. You're past your retreat at this yeah. point. I know. So oh, yeah. Just, yeah. just, just want you to be realistic. Yeah, that's about what it. I so This is all your no, work. So we will support whatever you decide you want to do. But regardless of what happens with the next 60 to 90 days, AHS <clears throat> is still here. We're still the board of trustees, and this information will still be vital and helpful. We hope. So we start this process in earnest, recognizing the time challenges. And um, you know, with the transparent, collaborative atmosphere. Yeah, I guess you know, I'm maybe I'm not feeling the biggest um, sense of urgency because I'm skeptical that they'll be able to bring way in in time for us with our needing to put produce our budget right. So that's where I'm thinking this is more of a longer term mm. thing, and I'm. Saying that also to say we've asked staff to um, undertake processes to ensure that our contracting process um, ensures equity and that we're looking at, you know, the, ty the, the types of contracts that we're doing, socially responsible procurement, and I would ask the same of us. And that is going to take a bit of time in terms of thinking about our evaluation process, um, local and, you know, all that. 
So I just wanted to kind of put that out there that I would like for us to be disciplined, at least as disciplined as we've asked staff to be, um, and be measured in what we're doing. And, uh, and you know, if, if we don't think this is, this is likely to change what we're going to have to do with regards to the budget, then really I think we need to take our time and do this right, sort of yeah. to Trustee Hernandez's point. I agree. What does that look like? I think what we've said, but I think when, when we're, when we're in, in addition to having to scope this out, I think we need to think about what our criteria is for, like, what are our minimum qualifications yeah. and what are our preference. And what's the scope and scale of level one versus level yeah. two yeah. or part A, part B? Yeah. That, that, I don't have clarity on that. Yeah, what's, what's, what they can do in a short period of time and what takes longer. Yeah. And perhaps that's a discussion with, with uh, Supervisor Valle, what the expectations of this of this work? Uh, I, I, I don't. You, I, I wasn't in the room, so. I, I think I think they've given the charge back to us, and yeah. you know, and it's appropriate for us to do it. And, you know, we're going to take it yeah. seriously, do our best. All right. Time I know what we're going to be talking about at the retreat. <laughs> <laughs> part, part of the retreat will probably be this. Um, I, 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 do, I do think oh. there's I do think there's some high level stuff you know like we were talking about about how we how the matching funds are used and so forth where they could be very helpful to us if we had a good consultant. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we, yeah. You're looking at that too though, right? Yeah, we've had yeah. a couple of conference calls yeah. and we have some follow up on it. We'll we'll keep going, but if you want to hand that off to somebody else, yeah. I think it may be helpful. Okay. Well, and, right. and I, I think your st your staff is doing a lot of work on it already. Yep. Yes. A lot of these things. That's why I think those names. Yeah. So that we ought to coordinate. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's we can get independence and have coordination at the same time. Mm -hmm. Would it make sense to ask Toyon for someone that they've worked with? Well, Toyon's working for the county, I so. Know, but they. And with us. I know. But oh, right. And not with us. No, no, but. But they reference. know a lot of people. Oh. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Say hello. <laughs> yeah, we're supposed to say that. So, again, in the spirit of collaboration and, and honoring the work of our staff, um, you know, that we're not, that we're doing this, it's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. G2. Motion. I will entertain uh, a motion if someone wants to. Yeah? yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is there a and I'll, I'll second it with the Great. with the quote. Uh, my wife would say to me, "Dummy, look at the agenda before you ask the questions," because I the question I asked was so obvious when I looked at two. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All in favor? Aye. 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 Trustee Jensen, are you in favor of that? Trustee Jensen. Are you in favor of? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Um, maybe I should look at the agenda now. Um, are we done? Yep. Yeah, we're done. We're going to a uh, closed session, right? Mike, what's the, what's, the, what's the fancy word we're supposed to use? Yeah. Yeah, we have to go to closed session, yeah. yeah there's a, uh, two items in closed session, a uh, report on a potential legal matter with a legal counsel and a performance evaluation. Okay. The board uh, adjourned from closed session at 11.14 and took no action.